Hello and welcome to This Board Game Life, episode number 16. Descent to Sky Traders, Glenmore, St. Petersburg, Expansion, and more. My name is Rob, and with me today, I've got my good buddy, Jeff. Hey, and I, I guess this is uh, my Ameritrash to your Euro this episode or something like that? Sure. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. So, you know, this is the show where we talk about board games uh, all the fun stuff that encompasses that huge, fantastic hobby of ours. And uh, it's coming from the viewpoint of two people, you and myself, one an experienced gamer and one more of a noob. We'll, leave, we'll let everybody figure out who's who. <laughs> Although I don't like that name, noob. Let's just be noob. the new guy. Well, as long as it's got the two zeros, then, then it's cool. Yes, it's exactly. You know, let's get on with the show. Where uh, you know, hopefully, we're not going to talk about Kickstarter or other taboo topics, and I don't think we will. First thing I wanted to mention was that our contest is officially closed our fantastic contest number one for Yay. two copies of the fantastic game zuloretto verfelspiel also known as zuloretto the dice game here in the u.s we have gone through the uh the tabutron the big fantastic computer random number generator and we've picked out our two winners like to congratulate Ted D he is uh, winner number one and Chris N. So we'll be contacting you guys shortly uh, to get your information. So we get these copies out to you as soon as possible. And if you're not happy with the results, blame, what is it? Random.org. Yes. Random.org. Yeah. Bad website. <laughs> if you didn't win, <laughs> if you won, yeah. then please con congratulate it. It, yes. it did. Uh, did you well? Yes. Yes. And uh, also wanted uh, to thank everybody for their submissions. We got a lot of great inf uh, posts, emails. I guess it's really not posts. We got a lot of great emails. Got a lot voicemails. of voicemails from people. We'll try to get to all those in the next show or two or three or four. Yeah, it's we got a whole ton of them. So we'll be, you know, slowly delving them out uh, on the next upcoming shows. All right. So And and we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors for that contest. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> thank you, Rob. <laughs> All right. That uh, that was the gratuitous thinking of the sponsors. So uh, what have you been playing, Jeff? Well, I actually have gotten quite a bit of, well, I guess what you, what I like to call Amerifun games. Some uh, some other people incorrectly refer to them as Ameritrash. I've been, I mentioned on the last show, New Game Shop that opened up near me. And at the time, I'd only had a kind of a preview of it. Hadn't really gotten out to play anything yet because they weren't open. 
And they've since opened, and it's been about two weeks, I think, since we recorded our last show. And uh, I've had four good long visits to the store in that time, so really, Fantastic. really probably more than I normally would even get out to a store. Uh, but they had, and I uh, participated in, I had mentioned, the Descent Preview Night event. So for or this Descent store... Descent 2. Yeah, Descent 2. Descent. Exactly. 2.0 or whatever they you like to refer to it as. The reimagined Descent. And, uh, that, that ran really around a Friday night starting at about, oh, we actually got it started maybe even a little bit before 5 p.m. onto probably just before midnight and then beginning again, 11 a.m. on Saturday and again to, you know, 11 p.m. or midnight or so. I think wow. we all kind of lost track of the time. So, and I ran it for the entire time, uh, of that period. So, I did, uh, we did have a kind of a helper to run. We had a, a two copies of the game going. Uh, and okay. I, I, I tried to play and pretty much managed to play in one of the two the entire time. Uh, occasionally I had to teach one of the other ones. I would say maybe, uh, maybe 50% of the other games I taught and then 50% of the other games someone else taught. So I probably played 10 encounters. I, I lost count of one or two of them. It might have been 11. So, in any case, just shy of a dozen, or was it a dozen? Because now I'm thinking about another one, but uh, quite a few, in, in other words, and all back to back like that, all uh, mm-hmm. all different scenarios or encounters as they're called. So uh, I've got to ask: Are you sick of it yet? Well, that that's I guess the interesting answer here. Well, I, I guess I want to go back for a moment and just state for those who haven't listened to all the shows, my general opinion on dungeon crawlers. From a computer game perspective, I've been a huge fan all my life, right? I started with the, the Gold Box D&D games, or I don't even remember the order, right? But there was Bard's Tale and Ultima games and, you know, the Gold Box D&D, Pools of Radiance, Azure okay. Bonds, all yeah. that stuff. And it was very, very, very much enjoyed. That was some of my most favorite PC gaming. Uh, and, of course, I played a, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons role-playing some as a, as a teenager and Otherwise, the whole concept of fantasy and tactical combat and stuff was is, is very much appealing to me. But I had really been disappointed in Descent after playing it for a while. At first, I thought it was great, and I talked about that on one of the shows back, maybe in the first half dozen episodes. You know why it was I had gotten rid of Descent, and I won't I won't rehash all of that now. But just to say that I, I wasn't really or didn't end up that much a fan of the first one, and so I'd went out and I tried all these other dungeon crawlers, whether it be more recent ones like Dungeon Run or to a certain extent even Claustrophobia, which which was maybe one of the the better ones. But I really didn't find one that addressed or or produced the result that I was looking for and and gave me an experience that I felt in a board game form was as satisfying or more satisfying than just finding a PC game to play which is is only true of a couple of genres but this is one this dungeon crawler is one where I just the board games really weren't doing it for me okay so so that said there's really there's very few if any dungeon crawlers I even enjoy the closest which is almost you knocks my credibility to say I like the, you know, the castle Ravenloft, the, the you know, those because they are so simple. Um, but they do hit on other points that w- have been important to me, you know, as a, as a, as a ex role player or whatever, is the fact that, you know, you can play a wizard and it feels like you're playing a wizard because there's a bunch of different spells and there's 
the the class aspect of the game is well done, even if tactically it's a disaster and there's other things that are just not good about it. There's enough other things that they've kind of done right where, say, again, Descent First Edition fails where I never, I don't feel like a wizard and there's only two or three spells and, you know, anybody can pretty much draw. You know, that was, that was disappointing to me as a guy that used to like to play the mage a lot. This fact that in my mind, it was set up, Descent 1 was set up where the Overlord had to be a bit of a game master, a GM or dungeon master, and look out for the players and try to make sure that the experience was fun for everyone as opposed to playing purely to win. And this is a point of disagreement that literally starts arguments, right? Even a, even a board game geek, when I've said this, it sure, come yeah. out and said, you're, you're crazy, right? I mean, why you're a board gamer, you know, you don't, you don't play chess to try to make sure the other guy has fun. You play to win. And, you know, while that's true <laughs> of a lot of games, I, I don't think that that's the spirit behind the first version of descent because okay. in playing a lot of the overlords and this, this was exactly all the ones that I played against. They would simply spawn monsters over and over and over and over and over again. And four hours later, we're still in the entry room fighting the same monsters we fought four hours earlier. Wow. Uh, because rather than spend the points any other way or otherwise make sure that we could even move forward. And then the argument, well, you don't want the heroes to get too far in and get too many chests because then at that point, there's this tipping point where now the heroes are unstoppable. So this really is the only, you know, and, and I, I'm not saying those people are wrong. Maybe they're right, but there's a point at which the game, that game is not fun for me past the first couple of plays. If that's the way the experience is going to be. And that's how the overlord player has to play to win. And, and, and also just simply, I don't have the time to invest so and, does it turn into more of a chore than a game? Yes, it's like grinding in an MMO. Exactly. Right. It's like, oh, right. It's like if for anyone who's played an MMO, then that's exactly what it feels like. Or and fun, that's exactly though. why I stopped playing MMOs when, when they ceased to be fun. And it was just a chore, like grinding through monsters just to get it done. You know, the same ones over and over again until you finally level up. Uh, so that that was my that was you know not that there are there's plenty of other little nuances to it and I don't hate the game I mean I, in ratings term it was like a six point five which is still pretty high I mean it's still in the I have a barely positive view of the first edition of Descent right but not nearly good enough to keep or really want to seek to play it again uh, and again uh, and I I think I did mention this so I'm bringing everybody up to date sort of on my on my past dungeon crawler experiences and and thoughts. So I had gone out and tried to play all these other dungeon crawlers going, there's got to be a better one out there for me. And I really hadn't found anything. And in fact, all the ones I played, I, for the most part, I was liking even less than Descent 1.0. And so and then I started going, well, am I wrong? And 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 then I thought, well, no, I, I can't be wrong because for me, the, the issues I had are, are, are there, they're real, but maybe this is just still the best that there is. So I'm either going to have no board game that's a dungeon crawler, or I'm going to have to go back and, and stick with descent. Well, somewhere in there, then I found out that the new version was coming out. And then the hope being that they've addressed some of these complaints that I had. Cause it's and supposed to have a lot of improvements, right? Yes. But then the worry is change. It, it's too dumbed down. Perhaps is the worry that a lot of people had. Right. Well, and so just to skip to the conclusion, and then I'll work back from there, 
I'm very much a fan of the new version of Descent. Really? To the tune of I'm trying really hard to come up with even a single criticism of the game, and I'm not sure I can. Which also means talking about in good conscience, which I had in the last episode where I couldn't rate a game any higher than a certain number. After playing 10 or 11 games of this and still being willing to play more and feeling like I'd be okay to come in the next day and play another two or three, I don't know how I can't rate it a 10. Really? Really. I almost fell out of my chair right now. <laughs> Why? Because I heard you say 10. Well, I've rated other games a 10. I, I, I try to reserve that more now. Yeah, so specifically, and this has happened, I mean, this has happened, I think, with FFG with, you know, a couple of titles or, or with a couple of remakes anyway. Maybe Thunderstone was another one where I, I just go, uh, you know, they're on the same wavelength as me. It's almost like they interviewed me and said, you know, Jeff, what were the things you didn't like about Descent 1? And we're going to go change them for you. I don't care what anyone else thinks, but just for you, we're going to make this other version and we're going to make it better. And so then look at what they did. The, the, well, you know, we'll start with those improvements. So now there are classes. And when you take your character card, you know, there, there's a colored symbol on there and it's red. Uh, let's see if I get this right. Red, yellow, green, or purple. And that corresponds, of course, to sort of the classic fighter, thief, wizard or cleric type roles. And then within each one of those, there's a subclass. So there's for fighters, it's like, is it, it knights and berserkers? And for the wizards, it's necromancers and whatever their term for wizard is. And then you have, you know, the two thieves and there's a cleric, one's a healer. And I, I forget the actual names, but but that then gives you a choice within that. And then the, the point is you get a, a special starting set of equipment and ability then geared towards that subclass. And then as you would go through, say, the campaign game, especially, you would be able to level up even more things specific to, to that. Uh, and then of course, even the stats and the, uh, you know, there's a heroic feat that each character has and everything's just sort of tuned towards this class. So it, it does feel much, much more like you're playing the thief, right? The nimble thief, the, uh, you know, the true tank, the healing cleric, the, the necromancer with the pet, right? It, it, that comes across absolutely on the level of, of what you would expect in a game, uh, that differentiation. So, and, and, and at the same time provides a good foundation for all kinds of ideas with expansions, right? I mean, let's put in the monk and, you know, it really any of the sort of cliche type of subclasses and stuff that those could all, those could all be added to the game with the specialized set of cards and the upgrade path and all of that stuff um, to add even more variability and more uh, uniqueness to a, to the class system. So that, was a, you know, home run compared to first edition, just the way that that's all been done. Then the other part that they fixed is just the whole way that the overlord works. So now there aren't, there aren't really any points that you spend. There's just a reinforcement ability. And so each encounter that you play will have some stated method of reinforcement. Maybe it's 
one that you get at the start of your turn or one that you get at the end of your turn, or maybe there's even conditions on it. Typically, you can only bring them on if they've been eliminated to begin with. You know, that certainly changes the pace of the game. You know, the cards that the Overlord can play, really, you, you start out with one for each hero, and then you draw another one each turn. So there's no real limitation. If you want to play all five of them, great. If you want to hold them all back for later, you can do that as well. You know, uh, if you if you should knock down a hero, you get an extra draw to give you some extra options and stuff like that. So I thought that was nice. That seemed to address the issues I had with how the Overlord would play before. Um, so right there, you know, my two major complaints kind of dealt with. Okay. Um, and and then just even the even the monsters or the way that it's sized. So now. The way that it's handled is if you're playing with two, you just put out less monsters, same exact stats. If you put out four, or I mean, if you have four heroes, then you just put out more monsters. And and there aren't really different attributes based on that. Um, There's still the minions and the masters like there were in the first edition. But there seems to be a lot better theming, from my memory anyway, of, of those monsters in terms of the monsters have surge abilities too, all pretty much all of them. Uh, they all have, uh, seem to have a special trait that happened, you know, like the shadow dragon, for instance, if you, uh, if you don't roll at least one surge and spend that surge to hit the shadow dragon, then, you know, your sword passes right through them. And, uh, that's, that's just kind of a trait that's always there. And then maybe there's a special ability, uh, again, with like the shadow dragon, it's the ability to cast, uh, like a, a fireball down a line. On, on the map. So if you can line up a bunch of heroes, then you can potentially affect all of them by spending a surge on that. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. It just feels like there's a lot more interesting things uh, going on with the, uh, the included monsters. And then most of all, the, the really big change for me is when I would play the first edition, there would be flavor text, right? There'd be a, a big map. You know, you'd, we would, you'd spend forever setting it up. I mean, that's some other minor changes too that, that really help is now most of the train is, is drawn on the map. So you don't move around all these tiny little pits and all this other stuff that would take you forever to set up. It's kind of baked in. Uh, but before you would set up this big map and you would kind of start off and, and really it was generally it was something like, okay, you, you kill the boss man at the end, you win, right? That, that type of thing. And, and so then the flavor text would come up and you'd be kind of like, yeah, whatever, let's just go to the next room and, and, and kill whatever's there. Right. Yeah. So now, and I, and again, I've played, I've played 10 of these encounters. So I can say with absolute certainty, with the exception of the first one, which is really just a sort of intro thing to, to get you going with the game. There's really good story written into the game and each encounter very much has a different feel from the next one. And not just because of the difference in the map and the creatures, but because of the story as it's told and as it unfolds. And it really feels like you're kind of going through almost this role-playing, you know, experience where you're, you know, you're enthusiastic about what's, what's going to happen next. And okay, what happens after, after, after this? And, you know, so maybe, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, don't want to give away too much, but for example, one encounter, the, uh, you're, there's basically a village at the center of, of things. That's what the map is. And the overlord, there's monsters that are coming in, of course. And of course, then the heroes show up in town. 
so you would think in, in classic terms, this would be, okay, the heroes have to kill the monsters and the monsters have to kill the heroes. Typically, correct? Right. And, and, and that would be the win conditions. Well, no, it's not. It's the monsters are basically going to keep coming back, uh, from a story perspective. And so what has to happen is there's these big torches around the town. And if, if the heroes manage to light those, then, you know, the, the monsters are going to be scared off. And, you know, they're just not going to come back. And so that's how the heroes achieve victory. At the same time, it's the villagers, which are represented by these sort of NPC tokens that the monsters really want to get anyway, not the, not the heroes. So if the, if the overlord manages to kill these, I believe there's four in this one, four NPC, uh, that's, that's his win condition. So not killing you, you not killing him, but kind of these neutral things. And so, so the heroes are trying to turn on these lights at the same time that they're tr- trying to, uh, maneuver the NPCs to try to shield them from attack. And you've got kind of creatures coming from both directions. So you can't just kind of shove them this way or that way. You kind of have kind of form a protective circle, but still manage to make some progress and, 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 and get out to the areas of the map where the torches get turned on and. Um, so you see where I'm going with that, right? Is it just oh, yeah. something very different than a, okay, we're here in the dungeon, let's just kill everything and go home. That's really the starting point. Uh, the, the, some of the other ones are just that much more involved where then there's, there are, um, special objects and, uh, you know, there's a, there's an altar and one and you have to use it a certain way. And the other thing that'll happen is, so the typical setup, if you're not playing campaign mode is there's two encounters. You'll play the first encounter. And declare a winner. And, you know, the map is of modest size, sometimes larger uh, than others, and sometimes typically small for the first encounter. But the result of that will then carry over into the second one. So not just if you're wounded or whatever equipment you get, but maybe if you win. Uh, well, you know, I'll give you I'll give you a silly example, which is the, the, actually the very first scenario past the intro one. Uh, it's called Fat Goblin. So the first the first encounter, there's a farm field with, with, uh, oh, I forget now, but you know, it's, it's this food growing in the farm field. The heroes are trying to get to the farm field and store away the, the goods, right? The, the goblins are trying to get there and, and hoard them back to, to their fat goblin boss. Okay. Sure. And, and then, so that's pretty much the setup. It's kind of a race again, kind of not so much kill them, kill us, but a kind of a race to acquire these goods and, uh, and, and, and get them to, to your spot. And then based on that, so let's say the goblin gets, uh, three of the four, I think it is. Then, uh, really what it is is then, then the boss monster in encounter two is that much more powerful. He gets three extra health, I think it is, right? So now he's harder to kill. Uh, you know, because he ate more stuff and grew bigger, you know, grew fatter or whatever. Uh, And and at the same time, instead of just setting it up that way, it's like, okay, now it's encounter two and just go kill the fat goblin. And he's either stronger or weaker based on what happened in the first one. Well, no, it's actually a story where the goblins had captured this group of villagers again or something like that. And one of them, they suspect of being this famous powerful, you know, whatever it was. And really what they're trying to do is interrogate and figure out. And so then you roll the, even as the overlord, you're trying to roll these attribute checks. And if you can manage to determine which of these four prisoners is the one you're looking for. And then uh, I believe it's escape with him as, as the overlord player, then you've won. Meanwhile, the heroes are just trying to kill the fat goblins. So 
you know, before he can figure out who, who this um, important person is. So, you know, again, there, and then there's some more nuances to it and such, but each, each of the encounters or encounter sets have a story like that. And I think each one that I played, every one really worked. It really stood out from the other ones and was interesting to participate in. Didn't feel like flavored text. There were mechanics uh, in addition to that, that were everything very much mattered and the story flowed well. Maybe, maybe in some ways that was even the most impressive thing, especially as I leafed through, you know, the rules are however long this, this quest guide is maybe twice the length of the rules. It just seemed like there were endless ad- adventures. I mean, I played 10 of these things. I don't think I even, you know, got a, a quarter of the way through the book. So, so that, that was a, a great aspect of the game to me. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I mean, no, I, that game actually sounds really interesting. Uh, I mean, Descent is something that I picked up probably close to a year and a half ago and i still don't think i've even opened it yet just because it's something that i always planned on playing just because i kind of like yeah. the engine crawl and, thing but and you know i should say too that was the other thing that was just really awesome for me is the fact that because i was running these games and i wasn't just sitting with the like i had with the other versions of descent and played through you know, I played with different groups, but I still, you know, I would play five, six scenarios with one group, and then you know, I played five or six times again with a, another one, and it was those same groups. This really was, the, you know, the setup is, because it's preview night, four people and me sit down. I, typically, I played the Overlord, uh, I think all but the last time. And so four new people are sitting down, and they're getting up, and then four other new people are sitting down, and then they're getting up, and four other new people are sitting down. And so I played with just the first night alone, I, I want to say it was five, so 20, 20 different people and probably 20 different people a day, somewhere oh, wow. in that realm. And I played with uh, experienced Descent 1.0 players. I played with people who had never played Descent before. I played with role players. I played with a family that literally brought in and, you know, their six-year-old son and, and their teenage daughter and, you know, and the wife and, you know, played as a family. Uh, I played with all sorts of different people, and all of them had a blast with this game. That's uh, awesome. E- even even the fans of the first edition. I mean, it, you know, even even they conceded on certain points that you know this for everything they took out. There's another thing that was added that really accomplishes something neat. So you know, there was there was some give, uh, you know, and take to it, but. There's there's definite improvement to this version. I mean, that's uh, really, at least for me, that is really encouraging. And it was one thing that I kind of had just written off, kind of like you know, I've got the original Descent, you know, well, it's still sitting and, on the shelf, haven't really and we, touched and it. And we heard that a lot. A lot of people were saying that, you know, hey, you know what, I got it. It's still in shrink. Or I, I tried it once, or yeah, my buddy had it, and. Uh, you know, just, just all kinds of different things. And, um, you know, even, even again, even the people that were the, fa- you know, fans of the, f- the first edition, with the exception of, I think, one, one of the, one of the gamers I play with, uh, or had played with relatively regularly had only played the introductory scenario. The introductory scenario after that experience, I realized was a little lacking because there wasn't so much the story element and there, there wasn't, I mean, it was just kind of bare bones to, to, to really test out the mechanics. Uh, and I, and what I did is that's when I realized what I really wanted to do also to keep my own sanity was start playing the different encounters. And that kept it interesting for me too, because I didn't, 
I don't, I may have, I think I once played the same one twice, but other than that, I played unique encounters each time. And okay. again, I, you know, coming out of that, I, you'd, you would think I would be burned down. I'm, I'm the guy that, and this is usually how I explain it. I say, okay, you take my most favorite game and put it on the table and then put a new game that just came out next to it. And I almost always would rather play the new game. <laughs> I know me too. Yeah. I mean, even That's versus so my funny. favorite game. Right. So the fact that I come out of two days of descent 2.0 and think about, wow, I would, I, I actually wouldn't mind playing this again tomorrow. I want to, I want to play the next encounter and see what happens. I want to see what the story in that one is. I want to see what the special mechanics they added are or but isn't what the it little the new twist game, is. Technically. Well, it is the new game, but it's not new anymore. I've played it 10 <laughs> times. Right. And there's other new games I hadn't played like sky traders and stuff that I was like, okay, I could play that and see what that's like for the first time. Or I could play descent again. It's like, I kind of want to play descent again. And on top of that is the fact that this is just for the standard setup, the, the two encounter thing. I haven't even gotten to all the rest of what the game has to offer. And that's what I really started looking at in terms of the value and the rating here is when you look at this thing and go, okay, there's a whole ton of adventures and encounters in the, in this book. I mean, it, it doesn't feel like they cheaped out at all on that. You know, some of these games you get and it's like, really? Four scenarios? That's it? Uh, th this is not one of those. I mean, this, the, the book is meaty. There's lots of stuff in here. And then you go, okay, even if you, you, you played through all of these two or the three times or whatever is the point at which you feel like it's kind of samey. Now there's this epic mode. An epic mode isn't like, okay, you just use more powerful monsters, right? Oh, you know, whoop-de-doo. No, it's, well, this is where you just, you level up ahead of time. So now you do get to pick those extra advanced skills and uh, upgraded weaponry and whatnot. And, and now you go in against that encounter. Uh, the overlord gets some upgraded cards and things like that. Uh, that's a whole nother way to play. I, I haven't even had reason to get to that yet. And then, of course, on top of that is the true campaign one, the part the part that kind of really excites me to try out. And where you, uh, and there's a, a baked campaign in the manual. I think it's nine adventures that you go through. Uh, but but really, just to see how that works, and and then the thought that again, and that's maybe the best thing about Descent Two, is there's so much just in the box, but at the same time you see so well how it's set up for expansions and maybe not even monster expansions, uh, no pun intended, but, but like the, the micro ones that we see, you know, like gears of war and mansions of madness have the little decks and stuff. And so I could, or even Runebound, and I or could, I rings. could see almost like having a little, you know, here's a new class, uh, coupled with an adventure or two, right. Type expansion or, you know, there's really a lot of different things I think they could do for lower priced expansions without having to put every, everything out as these monster expansions. Right. Uh, or maybe they do go that way for the first few. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but, but the foundation is there. There's so many expandable elements to the game that, uh, that that's encouraging and it almost, almost seems complete enough. Uh, well, it really does. I mean, if they never were to publish another thing, there's enough just in the box that it, it, it doesn't in any way feel like, uh, you know, I guess to use an example, rune age is a good example of what a lot, a lot of people you know, poke fun at that particular element that it just, there wasn't enough in the base game. 
you really it really isn't fun enough to keep playing it until some expansions come out which you know they finally are but i don't feel that's the case for descent at all even if you know debating that for rune age is, is for another day but but uh, again just um uh, looking at the value in the box and i think it really is there with uh this adventure book so yeah very 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 happy with it i mean they changed some other things there's search tokens now they uh they tend to give you potions and not so much treasure and you know you can't go back to town to heal up you um you know you can't buy stuff in town but again this is all it's all really driven at making the game play a bit faster but not with without losing too much of the tactical depth which i which i thought was definitely still there a lot of the interesting mechanics now are more based around uh, maneuvering your characters into the right position. So you, you know, you get two actions, so you could take two move actions, but you can also spend fatigue to move. And you can do that even if you didn't take a move action. So you, you kind of can get these two attacks in and move at the same time. You, ex it's like taking a different type of damage, but then you have to find a way to uh, recover that. So m maybe you rest or maybe that's where the healer comes in. Uh, you've got the, the special abilities, you've got the heroic feat, which is kind of this once per encounter thing that's, you know, really powerful and special to your character that you then flip the card over for. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I, I could continue and continue, but I, as I, again, as I looked at it and, and thought, where, where can I, I kind of poke at this game and, and, and say this or that could be better or this or that is off or wrong. I really, I really can't find anything. I, I think it in all ways shows, uh, maturity. And, uh, and I agree with anyone who says, even if it's up for debate now, if, if, uh, you know, Descent 1 or Descent 2, in even a year's time, it, it will be just like Twilight Imperium. Nobody, nobody will be talking about Twilight Imperium 2, right? It's, there is only Twilight Imperium 3 at this point. Right. Um, and, and, and I think very much the same with Descent. And especially with the fact that, again, they really went all out and did the co uh, conversion kit so that you can bring forward all the plastic from the old games. Right. All the creatures, all the characters. And honestly, looking at the adventures, it would work. It wouldn't feel kludgy or anything weird like that. There's a couple, some scenarios will have fixed groups of new monsters and then they'll have open groups and the open groups match up with certain symbols. Even the creatures from the new edition use those symbols. So, so do the creatures from the old ones. So whether you chose, um, uh, you know, a, a new edition creature or an old edition creature, they're very much your option for the open groups. So it would work just great. And, and again, I think it would provide even more variety to have those as hero choices um, amongst the new classes and subclasses. So. So basically, with the game, just so I understand this, so Descent 2 is a new reworking. It's in a smaller box, and it's got less components than the original, correct? Yeah, it, it definitely has less components because, we again, we don't need all the little chits. Um, most of the conditions are cards now, which are nice because then the rules are pretty much listed on the card. So there's no po poison token. It's now a poison card that you take. Um, so all of those little chits are removed. The conditional okay. ones. All of the environmental stuff is removed because it's now just part of the tiles. There's there's a pit drawn on there, or there's water drawn on there. You don't lay that out so much anymore. Uh, and then as far as actual map tiles, it there's probably less 
but it doesn't really feel like less. I mean, we set up an encounter that was a, didn't even use all the pieces and it was big. It was big. It's, it was one of the bigger ones. It's, you know, maybe eight or nine adventures in, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it took some of these still take a, a couple hours to play. I mean, we played, uh, more than one that was still a three hour game. So not all of them have to be the hour adventure, though. There's certainly plenty of those. Um, there's less creatures, uh, but it, but it doesn't feel like there aren't enough. Again, again, that's why I like, I can't really knock it. It's like, it would, if there were more, that'd be great, but it, but it's just at where I wouldn't consider it too few. Okay. And, you know, eight heroes, um, which seemed again, you know, not, not excessive, but, but certainly not too few. And, you know, just everything, everything, um, yeah, I, I've, I've thought the value was there in every way. I just, this just not a game that I, I have any doubts as to, um, what they put in the box. Even quality wise, artwork wise, I mean, everything just seemed to be spot on with, uh, what I, what I could hope for or imagine. So I, you know, I think they've got a real hit with this one. And I think they looked at maybe just the type of reception that Castle Ravenloft and especially the future ones that built on it a little bit that, that they, those games were having, having looked at the number one complaint, which I, I'm going out on a limb and saying was probably the fact that the same problem I had with that system even though I still own those games and I'm fairly favorable on them. I, uh, but the fact that, you know, a room was basically one square, I mean, you didn't maneuver within the room so much. Uh, and that was something that I always, you know, was kind of core to the descent experience is having that more space by space type of uh, maneuvering. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, where again, Ravenloft is also of course a cooperative experience as opposed to a, a, a four against one type thing, which is the descent setup. So in that way, they probably very much still coexist, but it will be interesting for me to go back and just see if, if I even need those other games still or if Descent, just because of all that it has and will have, especially going forward, if it just becomes the only dungeon crawler, you know, that I need to own. Now with the upgrade kit, is that something that's going to be available? Yeah, immediately. My understanding is it's available for pre-order. Uh, with the new edition so that it'll arrive basically at the exact same time. So you can immediately begin playing second edition and uh, reutilizing your existing components with no uh, delay. Do you know if it's going to be available from FFG exclusively or? No, it's available through stores. Channel? Okay. Yeah, stores were taking pre-orders. Our, uh, the Wandering Dragon was taking pre-orders of both. Fantastic. Actually, I'm going to do a little more research into it now that you kind of almost pretty much turned me around on it. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, the really the biggest misunderstanding we were getting was some people thought the upgrade kit would convert their game to 2.0, meaning all-inclusive. They didn't have to buy anything else, and that's not true. You have to still buy the, the new base game. Oh, really? So I guess I misunderstood that, too. Okay, good. Well, I mean, not good, but yes. So the only the only thing in the upgrade kit are new monster cards and new character cards. That's it. Right. So you don't, you don't get the new map tiles. You don't get the new condition cards. You don't get the new overlord cards. You don't get the class spells and equipment cards. You don't get right. All all the other creatures and and, and heroes that are in the second edition. Um, You don't get the, the rule book, right? You don't have any adventures to play without the adventure guide. So basically, if you get the upgrade kit, you will have 
the old descent plus the conversion into two and it's essentially going to be like maybe two two and a half games well it, you're you you're gonna all your old map tiles are going to be worthless all your old shits you know all, basically all the old cardboard is worthless all, really all you're carrying forward is the plastic the plastic is you know where the money was anyway and and where the where the you know that's and people that get the 2.0 version will not have those. right they won't have all the old plastic unless ffg reissues them as part of you know in sort of a battle lore way maybe uh you know new modules come out and they have half reissued old models and half new models is probably how i would do it so, so you kind of make everyone happy so i'm i'm still kind of confused now on on this so explain it to me again so you've got the original game that okay for in my case i've got the original game right now i still right. need to buy the upgrade kit and 2.0 Exactly. If you want to reutilize your existing plastic, but if you don't, then you just buy Descent 2.0 and, you know, sell off your game to someone else who, who wants the extra variety in creatures right now. Oh, okay. So the, up, okay. So you use the characters, the, the miniatures from the first one, and then the upgrade kit includes the pieces for those miniatures. The cards. The cards for those miniatures. Yeah, I mean, it's probably hard for you because you haven't, if you haven't broke open the game, then you, you're not real familiar with the components, but, um, you know, I've got my, I've got my little plastic character, but, you know, it doesn't really mean anything without the hero card, the character card that tells me all the stats. Exactly. Well, the, the, that has changed all in the second edition as well as the abilities and everything else. So you, you have the plastic guys in the first edition, you've got the hero cards. Uh, similar with monsters. You've got the plastic monsters, you've got the plastic monster cards. Well, if you're going to use those plastic guys with the 2.0 version, then you need the new monster cards for them, the new Correct. hero cards for them. All the stuff issued in 2.0 is all new molds, right? So right. it's not, they didn't reuse stuff in the base game. It's all new stuff. So um, you'd get to reuse the old stuff with this upgrade kit. Now, in your case, I don't know that it would be worth the money because you only have the base game. I mean, really, this includes, this upgrade kit includes cards for all of the original Descent games. So all the expansions. You know, and Right, promos, you know, you name it. Pretty much everything that's out there. Um, yeah, even those hard-to-find promo uh, update cards are, are all in there. Not the Again, not the plastic itself, just the cards for everything that you might ever have acquired. Okay. So, hmm. yeah, and, and again, I, I don't actually feel the need to go back and get that stuff yet. I, I Again, I, there's just enough that I think they'll have a, an expansion timely enough. And at that point I'll look and see, okay, if they're issuing enough monsters and new adventures and stuff, then maybe I'll just go forward and buy the new expansions. I, I don't know that I need to go back and, and acquire all the old stuff, uh, but, but this is more of a way to say, okay, you don't, you know, if you did invest all of that, no need to throw it away. It doesn't become valueless. Yes. There's a way to leverage them and uh, add to the variety. Interesting. I mean, with that being said, I think I'll probably just pick up 2.0 and run with that for a while. Upgrade kit, I don't know, probably won't be getting it. Descend 2.0. Go Excellent. get it. <laughs> and I think I will. Oh, you know, I I do want to say I do want to mention one more thing about Descent. What's that? <laughs> Besides, you love it a lot. Oh. There is um there's a new there there is one point uh 
one point of controversy that I thought was worth mentioning, though, that I actually uh, like a lot. And part of my my ten point rating is was there's a controversy now, during your uh, well, teaching just of the that game, some or? some older players don't like it. There, there's it's. It used to be that there was a more predictable way to figure out if you were going to damage someone, and you, you know you didn't even have to bother attacking them. Let's say if if you knew you weren't going to damage them. Well, there's defensive dice now. And so really what happens is when you roll certain dice and you, and you, and you do, let's say you do three damage, then your target can roll defensive dice. And if they roll a certain number of shields, like let's say they, you know, they roll three shields, they take no damage. So there'll be many times where you attack where you don't necessarily issue damage. And that just feels better and more thematic to me because otherwise you just have to keep, you know, just, insane number of health and hit points you know he's got 80 hit points or something and you're you're pecking away at him for five and six woohoo and you know the plus two surges and okay i did 19 this time you know what it just i like the way that this system works it just feels more like okay he you know he blocked it he dodged it and then again when you do have a weapon that has like say pierce two then in this version and two in the second edition pierce two simply cancels the shields, right? It, you know, it pierced the shields. So you had two shield symbols, or let's say you had three, then two of those shield symbols are pierced, and so they don't count. So now only one of those three shields actually blocks a hit. Okay. So again, so again if you had three damage with pierce two, and they roll three shields, you've done uh, two damage, right? Pierce two cancels two of the three shields, one shield left, subtract that from your three hits, you've done two. Uh, and as mathy as that is... It's way simpler than the first edition where you had all these different, you know, tons and tons and tons of surges. And now they've also limited the surges where everywhere that you have a surge listed, you can only use that once. So if you roll two of these little surges, which are basically they're the special symbol on dice that let you do special things. You used to be able to use them all kind of limitlessly um, to add to attack and, and such. So now you you have to have a special weapon that actually has that ability, like the, the battle axe, I believe, does, where the surge is listed twice. So if you get two surges, you actually can do plus two damage, but most uh, weapons, you can only use that one once and you have to have some other ability. Um, and that won't mean a lot to people who haven't played the first edition, but again, it just, every single thing I see, I can relate back to, if not an issue I had with the first edition, then at least a concern. So sure, it does, as it should, feel like this was a very well- play tested amongst just just as I did very varied types of of persons right all types of different people this is a much wider appeal version that's still I think satisfying for the the you know the the heavier dungeon crawler gamer at the same time that you'll actually be able to get it to the table more get more people willing to play it get more people willing to play it again you won't have these overlord type experiences where you scare everyone off and they go, yeah, yeah, I liked it, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, you never know exactly how to tell somebody I, I didn't like the way you played the game, and that's why I don't want to play again. So. None of that seems to be an issue with Descent 2. Okay. So, yeah. So if you can't tell, I'm very happy to finally have a, a, a dungeon crawler that I can be enthusiastic about going, yes, I'll play this game. Or, you know what? Yes, I actually want to start a campaign. The thought that, yeah, you know, my wife would even play this. My wife would even do a campaign of this because in the first edition when I set it up and it took two hours and she was like, you know what, I'm, I don't even feel like playing anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. That's Descent 2.0. All right. 
what else have you been playing again? Uh, well, I I've I played a game of Fortress Ameri- America. So I almost said version. Fortress Ameritrash. What new version, right? Yeah, the new version. So I played this. This is one of those games. Uh, I don't think I've marked it as previously owned because there, there's this category of games where I played it a lot as a as a kid or a teenager, but I don't remember if I ever owned it. And I, and I think this was one I just played it so much, and I want to say I, it was never my copy, uh, but it just felt like I owned it. And maybe I did. It's, it's it's mind-boggling how that works. I just try to picture my old game shells. I don't have any pictures. I'm like, was it was it up there? Was it or was it Samurai Sword or Shogun? What, I don't know. Anyway, so not having played it in twenty years or whatever it's been, it's very much felt authentic to me to that experience. It everything I remembered about it seemed to still be here. At the same time, I think they've made some minor tweaks, some minor changes. I know they've switched out what some of the models were. They've added some optional rules, which I think are very good. Very, very good, in fact. It was longish, which is, you know, I mean, based upon where things are in modern terms. Uh, we, we played all new players. And because one of the new players played America, well, the setup in this game, first of all, do you know much about this one, Rob? Not too much. I looked at the well, box. Yeah, so it's it's sort of you know three powers are invading America kind of thing. So it's it's a war on America's turf, which you know especially as a as a teenager is like kind of the ultimate coolest thing, right? You know, instead of just all this World War II stuff where it's in Europe and and uh, you know the Pacific or whatever. Well, you know now you're on America's soil, so it's like Red Dawn. Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of the time period which which it came out, right? So yep. It's three against one, so you have the eastern invaders and and uh, the western invaders, and then the you know the people invading kind of from Mexico and down South America way. And so you know, in a way, it, it's set up a little bit like descent, right? You know, it's everybody against this one player. And so the U.S. player was probably the least experienced of all of us, and that was that was a mistake, I think, um, because I think it's definitely harder to play when you're playing against all these other people. Uh, who also happen to be able to collaborate a little bit and, and and learn together more against you. So we really only played three turns. I think it it took us to win as the invaders, and that took three hours. Wow. So, so yeah. So I have a, a you know concerns a little bit to the game length, but I you know I, I first to admit. I mean, this was it was only one play I've played of this one, and. I chuck most of that up to just inexperience with the game for, for everyone, myself included, because I, I wasn't the one to, to read the rules or teach the game. So there was, there was, there was it was definitely a learning experience. So, uh, you know, basically what happens is you want to conquer cities. And if you capture a certain number of cities, then the game is over and you win. The U.S. just has to survive 10 turns and then they win. Okay. And it doesn't, doesn't matter which of the three players capture the cities. So, uh, you know, the other thing, the other thing that kind of concerned me about the game is there was a lot of downtime for really everyone. I've read some places that really say, well, it's it's more for America, but I didn't really, well, I wasn't playing America, but, but still I didn't really see that because America's involved in the battles. So if you've got the, the West goes and then there's battles America's involved in, and then the South goes and there's battles that the America's involved in. Well, think about from the east eastern invaders point of view so america goes there may not be any battles with them then the west goes and whether there's battles they're not involved and then the south so so really it almost seems like for a certain invader turns there would be more downtime than for america so i see it the opposite of other people but 
In any case, on all levels, there's some downtime in the game. That might be a reason why this is a better two-player game than a four-player game. It may may be more, uh, from my point of view, more interesting for the invaders if you just played all three, but uh, not unlike how uh, Titan kind of works that way too. Um, Better with two players from a downtime perspective. So, yeah, uh, you know, again, I think the most most experienced player playing America probably would help a whole lot, and um, you know that that's that's it as far as concerns for the game. Then to talk about a couple of the things I really liked about it, there's a combined arms aspect to the game, which is really neat because there's certain dice that you roll, and if you roll a certain result, it's the combined arm result. So then if you have a foot units, armored units, and aerial units, then that counts as a hit, where it, where it's a miss otherwise, because you don't have combined arms. And then there's other situations uh, based on cities or mountains and such where, where it counts differently. Um, there's a, a partisan mechanic in the dice, too, where partisans are stronger fighting alone, and that's represented in what dice are rolled. Probably the best one, combat-wise, is this is one of the few games that really rewards defense rather than attack. And that that's actually the prime reason why America lost because they kept going on the offensive. And what happens in this game is the defender always attacks first with basically everything. So the, so you go and attack, the defender rolls all their dice first, takes out whatever casualties and, you know, and then you, uh, then you attack. So that, that really, really switches up the way that you have to think about this game versus most of the other, games where, you know, the the attacker kind of is rewarded for being aggressive. Similarly, there's this nice difference in retreat results where the attacker is disengaged, we'll say, uh, is is the term, I believe. And and basically that just means they they just don't attack, where the defender actually is pushed back. So so there's a difference there. Um, There's a laser aspect where the American player can target a specific unit anywhere on the map. This is actually the whole story behind the game. America developed these powerful lasers in space and can target anywhere. And the rest of the world decided, okay, that's, that's not fair. You have to, you know, give that up or whatever. And America said, "Ah, yeah, we're not going to do that. Come get us if you've got a problem. And so they did, right? (laughs) That's, that's the basics of it. So. There's some variants now where you have cards for all sides. So it used to be just America would draw cards. Now there's cards for all sides. If you want to, there's resource spaces on the map. So if you control certain types of a certain number of, you know, maybe it's oil fields and minerals, then you can play a certain card. So now there are other strategic objectives besides just the cities that you're in play for or eliminating units. So it does very much feel like there's always something you want to do on the map. There is... Uh, an aspect of supply for the invaders. So if you don't maintain uh, a, a string of territory to your invasion zone, which is basically the sea, and the American player can cut you off somehow, then all of your units are eliminated that don't can't trace back to um, the sea zones. And so that's that's a nice war game like element that's done in just a very simple way and gives you a, a real kind of feel for what that is like, um, but in more of an Amer fun or as some people call it, a mirror trash uh, type game. So, and then the the other variant they have is then if uh, if America does lose, then you go one more turn with all the invaders fighting one another to see who the real winner was, and that would kind of change things up during the game because now you're trying to kind of keep an eye on the, on your neighbors and 
okay, what cities are they going to jump in and be able to take from me on that last turn if I if I leave them too undefended or do do I really want to you know draw my my front here and let him grab that city or or you know or that resource square you know that that's that's definitely interesting uh, not just for experienced players but I think in general uh, of course it does add a little bit to the game and uh, then there's also just the way that reinforcements work uh, you know you can you have a set, as the invaders you have a set pool you know certain number of uh, uh, bombers certain number of tanks you could take all of the best stuff right away if you want or you can spread it out but you get a you know fixed number every turn and once they're gone they're gone whereas america regenerates and so there's some interesting strategy there although there was also a concern there because it seemed like we were doing better just to take the better stuff first uh you know it it's it, it seems again like with experience that would work itself out more to make sense yeah so it's a promising first play of of the new edition i i definitely don't love the game but i i certainly like it enough to keep it around if if only barely um i su- i suppose the, the the concern is i i start to have a lot of these dudes on the map type game and is this a game that's going to have enough variety game one game to the next uh you know with a fixed map and you know, similar sort of setup uh, does it does it execute kind of the same each time and players fall to more of a pre-prescribed what you know order of of i go for this these two cities and then i go for that one and it or or does there really emerge a lot of variety here um, so that that remains to be seen but uh, for a lot of the combat mechanics and other of the basically this you know list of maybe uh, almost a dozen things that are the reasons why uh I certainly find it promising and in every way delivers, I think on the original vision and, uh, you know, feel of the original game. So, um, it, it, for, for people that don't have a lot of these type of games, I definitely think this would not be the first one I would get. I think there's, there's other, um, better choices for a first Amerifun game. But if you're into this sort of thing and, uh, and the theme especially appeals to you and any of those mechanics I talked about, then uh, I, I I don't think you'll be disappointed. There's really, you know, other, other than it being a little bit of a longer game, there there's not much bad to say about this one. That's uh, Fortress America, the new the new FFG version. Okay. What else you got? Okay, so <laughs> the uh, the next game I've been playing a lot of is King of Tokyo. Really? Yes. So just a ton of this game and a ton and then a ton more. And the reason why, can you guess? I was just going to ask you because I just don't understand. (laughs) Why? Have you played it? No. Okay. Well, because it plays so fast. It's very fast. Very, very simple to teach. Very fun. Uh, This is... That's one thing everybody always says it's fun, and I I've looked at it. I've it doesn't look fun. Use of it, yeah, I you know it, yeah. I just it, don't get it. It seems dumb. Yeah, when it first came out, I I you know I didn't even write comment. Like I said, I, I keep comments on every game just because I forget. I spend too much time reading the rules and going over it just to decide. Okay, I don't want it. 
And then if I don't make a note of that, I'll come back upon it. You know, I'll hear about it in a podcast or I'll see a review or I'll see a post and then, then I'll end up wasting the effort and going through that all again. And then somewhere, you know, a half hour in, I'll be like, Oh, wait, I did this before and I decided I didn't want it. <laughs> right. So I, I have to keep notes and stuff. And this was one, but then there's plenty of games where I just am so sure that I don't want it and that it'll be very obvious to me again that I don't want it, that I don't even bother. And so this was one of those. Whatever I had gone through, and I don't even remember, but when it first came out and I looked over it or saw the reviews or whatever, I did the same thing. I'm like, this is this stupid, silly, light Yahtzee variant with a dumb little square board. There's no way this is of any interest to me. Forget it. Not interested. Don't even want to try it. Could care less. And then really, you know, it really was just this onslaught of, of positive talk about the game that, that had me curious to see what it was about. And right. then, you know, as I've mentioned too, I am looking to expand my filler collection and I've, I've actually accomplished that to an extent. I found uh, a number of, of good games recently as I, as I tried to refill that. My last culling was really cruel to my, to my uh, lighter filler games I, where I cut just, just 80% of them or so. Wow. But this game fits well in that vein, you know, and it's almost, almost too well because mo when you think of fillers, you just don't, th King of Tokyo is a, a decent sized box. Well, you know, the average filler game, you're thinking of like a deck of cards or one of those, you know, Citadel size fantasy flight games, something like that. Well, you know, this one has some, some more meat to it, but it still plays very fast. And I think what it is, I mean, it's not just the components which are, are good. And, and I should say uh, again, like I'm not a, um, a, a, a monster movie fan. Like I don't, I don't never really been into the old Godzilla movies or Mothra any Rodan, right. you know, eh, it just never really interests me. Um, so I'm, what's that? Gamera, the big turtle. Yeah. Yeah. So are you a fan? You watch big Godzilla fan, all that? I used to when I was little, but well, not so much now. But yeah, so I don't, I don't feel, I never felt like predisposed to the theme or anything like it was, you know, cause I'm, you know, all the monster monsters menace America and whatever those, you know, monster apocalypse. And, you know, I was just, nah, I never really was into any of that stuff. So, you know, just another reason why I kind of dismissed the game, but right. here's the reason, the reason I like it other than it plays quick. Well, there's just this in multiplayer games and this one plays up to six. And anytime you have six players where you're fighting one another, there always seems like there's this element of, uh, you know, kingmakering or where, you know, why are you picking on me? Or that, you know, then there's a metagame of no attack him. Cause he's got more of this, you know, and then you attack me. It's like, well, you, why did you even listen to, you know, and you get all this fighting and you know, well, I don't, you know, I don't even want to play with you anymore because you're just not fair about it. <laughs> right. All this yeah. stuff that goes on. And none of that will ever happen in this game because of the, the, the setup is just genius that way. Because the whole point is, you know, we'll talk about like a four player game first, but there's, you know, the city of Tokyo and there's these four, you know, bad, big monsters. And you all want to be the king of Tokyo, right? King of the hill. You want to be the guy rampaging through Tokyo and getting all the fame, you know, fame and, and such. And so when you do that, when you're basically the first to go into the city and, and really the, the first to roll this particular die does, you score points. And then it's one point to get into the city. And then at the beginning of every turn that you begin and you're still in the city, you get two and you win at 20. So it doesn't take long, right? If you're just sitting in Tokyo, 
you're kind of racking up the victory points and you're going to win. Right. Now, the fact that you're in the city means that no one else is. So the other three in a four player game are all outside of it. And you're a target. For you're everyone. the target. Exactly. So they don't choose. Oh, they don't go. Oh, you know what? I don't like Bob here. I don't like his. I don't like the, the cyber bunny. I'm just going to attack him this turn. No, if they're attacking, they're attacking the monster in the city. And so then all three of them will be damaging you as the guy in the city. And likewise, if you attack, you're attacking all of the ones that aren't in the city. So you deal damage collectively to all of them. But now, of course, you're one person. So, you know, they're getting three times as many die rolls. Now, when you take too much damage and you only have 10 health, so if you get to zero, you're eliminated. There's player elimination, but it works because it's a fast game. If you get to zero, you're eliminated. You don't want to do that. So as you start to get whittled down, maybe around four, maybe three, kind of depends. Push your luck a little bit, right? Looking at the other players and such. Well, at one point you just go, oh, you know, okay, you've, you've chased me out of Tokyo. Have it, you know, and, and, and you run off and they have to then take your spot in the, as the king of Tokyo. And of course now they get a victory point and they'll earn two on their next turn, but now they're the target of all the attacks. And on and on it goes. Now the other caveat is as the monster in Tokyo, you cannot heal. As the monsters outside of Tokyo, you can. So, uh, you know, that's the real reason to vacate. So you can roll some dice and heal yourself, then get back in on, in on it. So talking about the game mechanics itself, it's somewhat of a Yahtzee type variant, I guess, where you've got these dice, you roll the dice, and you get to roll them a total of three times. So you keep the dice you want, you roll the rest, then you can re-roll dice that you already saved or whatever, so long as you don't do more than the three re-rolls. And what you're trying to do is then get a certain number of attack dice, a certain number of healing dice, a certain number of energy dice, and then the only the other three sides all correspond to victory points. Uh, and they're one, twos, or threes, and you need a set of three of them. So if you get three threes, then you score three points. Uh, three twos, it's two points. Three ones, it's one point. And then for every other dice that you have that matches, you add one point. Regard, you know, so uh, five threes would be uh, five points, incidentally. Um, but five ones would be three points, right? So it's, does that hopefully make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then outside of that, so that really I've, I'm, I'm actually explaining the whole game here without even meaning to, but this is sort of saying all the things I like about it. The other thing is this brilliant deck of cards, which is my only real complaint at the same time that I called it brilliant. So there really seems to be no duplicates in this deck. They're all unique and you can buy them with the energy. Uh, we, we, we kept calling them surges because we were playing after descent or maybe that was just me because having been the overlord but in any case you can buy these cards and they have a cost associated with them some are one time you know use it immediately and other ones are keep around and maybe it's something like another head and you get to roll an extra die or it's uh there's just all kinds of neat kind of thematic things that you know you're uh, uh you know you've got a laser eye or whatever it is and then there'll be some neat thing that you can do as part of that and uh so i thought that was really neat and then it kind of changes up every game in almost like a donald x sort of way because you're you're just going to see different cards, um, and, and and there isn't a lot of them that show up in any one game. You can spend two energy to wipe them and see three more. If for some reason they were duds, but somebody has to kind of go and do that. And on your turn, you can do a buy in addition to the rolling of the dice. Um, but but that, but it, my minor complaint was, I I don't know if I, I didn't didn't feel like I saw enough. After quite a few games, it just didn't feel like enough people were maybe buying things that should should have it it seemed like um, it, it was almost better 
to just roll for victory points or roll for damage or health and not worry so much about trying to get the energy surges. And that was more, if you happen to get them and have some, then so be it and buy the best you can. But, you know, that is, that aside, yeah, it's, it's really just, um, you know, it's not a super deep game or anything like that, but it's just one of those that actually plays out as a ton of fun. Every, you know, everyone I played it with seemed to love it. You know, people were asking to buy it, store sold their copy, tried to get more. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, just a fan. Wow. I, I don't know if I'm sold on it. <laughs> I'm still skeptical. Well, it's I mean, just, we talked about dice rolling games. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're going to, if somebody's going to say something like zombie dice is a good game, then this is a better one. Right. Right. Uh, you know, in the push your luck element isn't quite the same. You know, it might be something more like I, I roll only one three and then I roll some attack dice and then some surgeons. So, so I go, I'm going to keep the three and the attacks. I'll reroll the, the three energies and then you get one more three. And so then you go, well, okay, now I've got two threes. I need one more. Do I reroll everything that aren't the threes to give myself the maximum chances of getting that third three and not basically blowing the whole turn with a bunch of nothing? Or do I hold on to the attacks because I really need to damage that guy in Tokyo and kick him out? And then just risk it with my last two dice or my, even maybe one die and go, I just, you know, push my luck and go, can I get that three? I got a one in six chance or with two dice I have, you know, what is your decision there? So the decisions seem meaningful and interesting, really, as well as do the purchases, as well as do, should I leave Tokyo? Should I stay? Uh, there's actually two spots in Tokyo if you're playing with five or six. So there's Tokyo Bay. So you can have two monsters in Tokyo that attack out and are attacked. And, uh, and there's some other nuances to the rules there. But for, again, for as fast as it played and as light as it played, I found fulfilling decisions in it. Uh, it didn't, didn't, that definitely didn't seem, obviously there's randomness to it. You're rolling dice and such. But I didn't feel like I was along for the ride. And, and, and there was definitely injected theme, uh, into it. So. Okay. So that's, that's King of Tokyo. I mean, def just definitely a fan. Um, and it plays, plays quick. It's 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 in that Zuloretta Warful Spiel category for me of a of a great new filler I found. Uh with the difference being where Zuloretta Warful Spiel is best with two, so on the small end of the spectrum, right? Great with two, awesome with two. Correct. Uh pretty good with three and passable with four. Uh King of Tokyo is the opposite, right? Where it's like, oh spectacular with six and five and um pretty darn good with four and you know, maybe passable with two. You know, I played it with two. It was still fun. I've pretty, actually pretty much played with all of the player counts. And, uh, you know, I really, I guess I enjoyed it at, at all of those. It's just because it, I mean, it plays even quicker at two. So, and you know, in some ways, maybe there's more time to get the upgrade cards too with, with two players or something like that. So, um, yeah. And you win, you win one of two ways. So you either get to the 20 points or you kill everyone. So that's neat too. Some games you're kind of get more into that attack mode and other ones you kind of, everybody's kind of doing the victory point thing. So that's King of Tokyo. Okay. So we've been having some crazy weather out here in the uh, Chicago area for the past couple of weeks. And I have been uh, one of the fortunate that was uh, sarcastic by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. people to have my power go out a couple of times oh, no. over this time. And 
you know, the crazy weather has basically been temperatures uh, above 100. So, you know, when your power's out and it's over 100, that means your air condition doesn't work. <laughs> right. So, that really limits what you can do at home. Now, the good thing about having a board game hobby is that you don't often need very much to play a board game. And if the power goes out, as long as you can see, you're golden, you're in. Yep, absolutely. So one of the power outages that we had, as inconvenient as it was, uh, it gave us some family bonding time. Uh, and, you know, it happened, it started around 4 p.m. So uh, I, I got home from work and, you know, we did the whole dinner thing. And, you know, you can't do much in the house. So we decided to play some board games. And we had made some purchases for our son. We got a bunch of Haba games that we were kind of holding off, you know, for the appropriate time to bring him out. Well, that was it. And we had three of them that we had lined up and we wound up tearing through all of them. So awesome. I'm just going to go over uh, what they were. Uh, there was Animal Pound Animal, which I think is kind of a classic Haba game. Right. Even yeah. adults like that one. Oh, yeah. And I was just about to say how, you know, our our son, who's four, he really picked up on the game immediately. I mean, he knew the rules. He he knew that the hand means to give a piece. You know, he knew because there's a dice that you roll that tells you what to do. It tells you either to put one piece or one animal on the, the stack, or you put two animals on the stack, or you put an animal in front of the alligator's mouth, and the alligator is the bottom piece. It's kind of a longish piece that you stack everything on top of it. So... Uh, you put an animal in front of the alligator's mouth. Uh, there's a question mark, which basically means that the other players tell you which of your pieces to use to stack. Or there's a hand, which means that you give one of your pieces to whoever you want, and then they put it on. So I was really surprised. You know, he picked up on it instantly. You know, not quite there with the with the motor skills. I mean, he's four. But then again, uh, <laughs> we're we're having a little bit of a, a tough time with some oh, yeah. of the uh, positioning because I I put my pieces down in, in crazy positions on purpose. You're not exactly the most stable ones, but I, that's part of the fun, I guess. So we we played that. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, very big hit. We've played it repeatedly since then. Uh, we also got him Black Pirate which I believe in German is uh, Die Schwarz Pirat. Yeah, no, I'd be surprised Pirat. if he was able to do that one. That one is a little tough. It's actually a little tough for me sometimes. I'm, I'm finally getting the, the hang of the, the little air blaster dealio, uh, you know, after a whole bunch of repeated playings. So that one has a really large board for those people that aren't familiar with it. It's got a very large board, comes in a very large box. The board pieces together like a big puzzle. I mean, it's almost probably like, I don't know, like two and a half, three feet square, probably. Mm -hmm. And it's got a bunch of islands on there with different colored flags. And you have these little wooden pirate ships, which are these little wooden blocks that have a little cloth ma uh, cloth sail on a mast. So it's a nice representation of a ship. And you, you get one of those little, like, earwax 
cleaner things or the little suction guys that they use in the hospitals for when a baby's born. So I don't know what you would call it, a bellows or anyway. Uh, I knew I used to know what they were called, but of course it slipped my mind at the moment. It's the blower puffy thingy. We'll just call it that. Okay. So basically you take turns, you roll these two dice. It tells you where to put coins on which different flags and then how many puffs of air you can give your ship. And you try to blow your ship into a harbor. And once you get into the harbor of an island, you take all the coins that are there. You put them in your uh, little treasure goodie bag. And kind of the little twist to this game is that there's a pirate ship. And one of the sides on the uh, the dice that shows how far you move your ship It tells you sometimes, you know, move the pirate three times. So you've got two options. You can either move the pirate into a harbor and take all the coins, or you can steal coins from somebody, which is a neat little mechanic. Uh, We've decided to play without that rule to avoid a temper tantrum. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's something I'm going to introduce that rule later on (laughs) when he's a little bit older. But uh, that game is a little tough. You know, I believe it's rated for six and above. And again, my son's only four. So the, you know, the skills quite aren't there. He's getting a lot better after probably four or five plays. He's Yeah, I I had decided not to try a lot of these ones with with my son. My son's younger, of course, than yours by by about six months. But but that's an... That's an extreme difference in a, in a lot of cases yeah. for some of these games. And, so, but, you know, you'd be surprised. I mean, they really do pick up stuff quickly. Well, we, we certainly play. I mean, it's it's kind of different for me because we own um, uh, probably 75 Haba games right now. Um, so I just I have a little wider base to pick from. Um, so most of the larger ones I've sort of set aside. And uh, in a lot of cases, it's most more of the smaller ones, like the Animal Upon Animal and the Monza and such, where we have played them. And some of those bigger ones that kind of, uh, you know, are, are on hold, at least uh, oh, maybe yeah. till he's more your son's age. Yeah, yeah that's probably you know, about where I would start it. I'd say probably, you know, at the turn of the year, I mean, you might be ready to to start learning it. So... Yeah, so that that's pretty much uh the the Black Pirate. Uh it it was it was quite a bit of fun. My wife's actually asked for it a couple of times. Uh usually it's <laughs> when my son says, "Let's play sorry slight uh Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's sliders. the cool thing about the bigger Haba games is well, some of the small ones are good, like Animal Upon Animal, but especially the bigger and ones Monza are just too. Yeah. I like that one. Well, I I I have a really rare Haba one I, I like more that's doesn't i don't even know that it has an english name but it's von uh von zero off eight i think okay i there's only there's only like three people on bgg that have it tagged even and i'm i'm one of them but um i haven't played that one in eight this one's a lot harder than monza so that's probably why like it's more maybe adult appropriate but is it a car one yeah it's a car one i have to check it out yeah, the difference is, well, because um, there, there's a lot of different car ones, and they all kind of work differently. But where Monza, you're, you're rolling dice, and you're picking the colors to match the die. The This one that I'm talking about, 
it's more of a one of the secret games where no one knows which color of the car you are and you're trying to move you have you know a certain number of things and you can you're trying to move them all ultimately to kind of get you to win but without other people realizing who you are that sort of game there's been a bunch of games like that but this one in the racing theme actually works better than some of the uh, like quicksand comes to mind if anyone knows that game uh and then i was never so much a fan of quicksand but uh, you know the, the like the theming of this one almost works better because it, it just the that type of mechanic layered on a race game is kind of neat and then there's some other things in the game that i've kind of forgotten because it's been ages um that that switch it up and add you know even more so it's it's actually on the box it's like six ages six and up but it's a more firm six and up because i don't think um the sort of bluffing aspect young children are just yeah. never going to get what why why you would do that yeah that that means in, instant instant temper tantrum right <laughs> we well ki- ki- like young young kids are are uh it's difficult for them to keep secrets too like i remember uh a particular New Year's Eve, we were playing like werewolf with, with, um, you know, a friend's children and, and they were just having the hardest time. Like, you know, there's a certain role that you have and they just, or they know who, you know, this is and they just can't, they just can't keep it in. Right. They just have to, I know, I know, I know I'm got, I've got to shout it out. Uh, it's kind of funny. Just kids get real, you know, it's because we spend the really into them, the rest of the games. time telling them not to tell lies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess. Right. Yeah. It's fun when you play games that, break all that stuff so okay okay all right so that was black pirate and then we also now we also brought out uh, police alarm which is polizai yeah that's a magnet one magnet games are fun this is a very cool game this is also probably harder than the black pirate for my son I've not broke the shrink on mine so I I only know of the game I haven't actually played ours yeah this one is uh it's actually pretty pretty neat where there's you know again it's a, a largish box so it's got two really large pieces one is a big uh square piece of cardboard with a bunch of uh, little feet underneath it that just slightly elevated off the floor and there's a magnet right in the center of that board then you put a board on top which is multi-layer and it's uh it's a small city and the buildings are raised up slightly so that the roads are kind of like little channels uh, in this board. And you get this cool little police car, maybe slightly over a centimeter in length, that you then drop in the middle of this board. And then the magnet on the bottom part holds it in place. So the game basically is for two people. One person plays a robber, one person plays the cop. The person who plays the cop, their action is to slide the top of this, uh, the top board around with, where this car will stay stationary or relatively stationary. And you're trying to get to different parts of the map where there's these little uh, circles. The other person's a robber. And when they first start the game, they have a smaller version, a, a magnetic version of this board that they then load two robbers onto these different positions. And there's a whole bunch of other pieces in there to, uh, I don't know how many pieces are, maybe like 15 pieces 
approximately there's two robbers and let's say 13 uh, just generic pieces. So what the cop is trying to do is to try to go to all those places. They, they reach a location, they flip the little tile and the little magnetic board to see if there's anything there, if there's a robber or not. And then they just continue to the next one. When they collect two robbers, then the turn is over. Meanwhile, the robber, on their turn, they get six cards that have uh, safes on them with three numbers on there. And what they do is they keep rolling three dice and they try to match the dice on that card. So if you have one, two, and six on the card, you roll your dice. If you match a one, you know, you throw it on there, you roll the next two. Let's say you didn't get anything, you roll it again, then there's a two and a six. When you put them on the card, you crack that safe, and you have to decide if you're going to make a run for it or keep going. So there's a little push-your-luck element right there. And if the cop gets all the robbers before the, all the safes are cracked, or if the robber's in process, then you know the, the cop gets all the cards. And the safes are basically uh, what scores points during the game. But what do you think of the game? I enjoy it. I, I really like it. The Being the robber is really tense. It's really tense. You find yourself looking over, you know, at the at the policeman. It's like, okay, he's on the other side of the board. Okay, I can keep going. I can keep going. Okay, yeah, he's not close to the, where I have the second robber. He's got the first one. Yeah, I can do one more. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the numbers aren't hitting for you. And I mean, it's really tense. Uh, you know, it, it's not a difficult game by any means. It's, it's just kind of fun. It's really nice that there's like two different aspects to the game. The, the whole police part is kind of neat too. You know, just trying to find the uh, different locations, trying to find the robbers in the different locations. Of the two, the robber part is probably more exciting. At least that's what I enjoy more. Okay. Uh, my son tended to have a little bit of issue with the with the board because, you know, if you want the car to move, let's say, to the right, you know, in the eastern direction of the board, if you wanted to move it to the right, you have to move the board to the left. Yeah. So, you know, the whole opposite movement is probably the toughest part, but it's something that... I think he's going to pick up on after a couple of plays or, or definitely within the next year. Okay. And then the dice rolling piece, you know, he still needs a little bit of assistance. You know, he knows how to roll the dice. I'm not sure he quite knows exactly why he's doing it. <laughs> he's just <laughs> doing as he's instructed, but it, it's, so it's definitely a fun game. So what about, uh, what about you and the missus? We enjoy it. Broke out Macau. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes, we did. So it's something that I know we've been talking uh, in quite detail on, on our Feld show that we did a couple episodes ago. And I believe last show I mentioned how I had done a single-player run-through of this mm -hmm. thing because I wanted, I was really excited to introduce it. And okay, so, so you introduced it to your wife? That is correct. Okay. So, we, And what did she think? We broke it out. We... 
we started a game, we got about halfway through, and then we had to stop, which was, I mean, that was the introductory game for her. I was teaching it, her how to play. Mm-hmm. After about an hour, we had to stop. So we are going to pick it up later on that evening, but when we did, we elected just to start over. Okay. Which is kind of better because, you know, now everybody Yeah, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Okay, so you started over and... So you can start from scratch. And let, let me give you my opinion of the game first. I really enjoyed it. I, I really, really liked it. Um, but you all, haven't played Trajan yet, or you have? I have not played Trajan. Okay, go ahead. Trahan. So you really enjoyed it? I, I really enjoyed it. I, I liked all the different mechanics. I'm not going to go into too much detail because, I mean, we've covered this quite a bit. And, uh, you know, some of our listeners have covered it as well. But I really like the different aspects of the game. I like the whole, uh, what do they call it? The rose something, the little spinny guy. The wind rose. Mm-hmm. I, I like that whole mechanic over there and trying to plan for the future, essentially. Uh, I like the whole ship movement piece uh, in our game. I mean, we've essentially played it only, like, what, twice now. Uh, it okay. was interesting how in the beginning of the game, there really isn't that much ship movement at all. Yeah, and it, it all, all happens right at, at the end. Yeah. Like the last two, three turns. So in the beginning, you're kind of like, whoa, you know, I'm not doing anything with my ships. What's going on with this? So, and, and the stuff in the city, that, that's pretty cool. Um, but do you, do you feel like you had any control over the ship movement so much? Or did it just happen to work out that you got things to where you needed to get based on, well, now if you were only playing two player than two, there was less, less else altering your, uh, your right. devious plans. Uh, with the ship movement, I thought it went very well. I mean, I went to where I needed to go. I didn't have any issues with it at all. Um, and what did your wife think? <laughs> she was nowhere near as positive as me. Nowhere near as positive. Yeah, and it was. Did she really, get? Out, did she get out the uh, the scripto lighter, or was it more of a man? I mean, it's. <laughs> I I think it just might have been a bad day or something because when we finished the game, I mean, she was upset. She was upset. She called it a stupid game. Yeah, that's pretty much my wife's reaction to it as well. Yeah, and the one see, my thing, wife did get the scripto lighter, and I had to talk her talk her out of <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, talk her off the ledge. the The thing that really surprised me was that she was having a really hard time with the windrows. Right, as was my wife. She really. That well, is, I, I wouldn't even say that I I don't. I mean, you have to, I guess, just not overthink it. Where well, I don't, I don't, you you look at it and you you can't seem to generally do what you would most want to do or get what you most want to do, but it's I, I, hey I need to move some of these cards off of my tableau. Uh, I got to figure something out. Which ones can I can I get going? However way I can or what what I started to do is basically just take whatever I could get the most of because more more stuff is ultimately good as as opposed to taking only the the, the smaller numbers of. Of, of things that seem better in the short term. Yeah, the, the piece that I was kind of figuring out towards the end is that you kind of take one one die that will help you fairly soon, and then you take another one 
that you're going to bank on a couple turns later. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that thinking ahead part, right? I mean, like Luna had that, uh, although it works in a different way there. And Mon, uh, I see, I almost said Moncala has it. Uh, Drajan has it. And that's why of the three, that's why for me, they, that was the, the, we'll call it the itch that they were scratching. That was the really cool thing about them all. Right. That sort of looking ahead in the future, like in the same way you do in chess. And that's like the, the satisfying aspect of it in a lot of cases. But I just thought in, in Trajan, the, because of the Mancala thing, which is a game I don't even like Mancala so much. Yeah. Uh, it just was a lot more satisfying the way that it played out. And I thought I had a, a, a bit more control over it. And uh, for, I think, you know, for those reasons, you know, it was, it was just for me a better game than Macau. Not, not that uh, a lot of people keep saying I didn't like Macau, but you know, as ratings go again, I, I still liked it. I just don't like it enough to keep it. And I don't like it as much as um, his other title. So, yeah, so, the thing that I had mentioned was that she really had a problem with the windrows. And the big problem that she had was she really wasn't getting its function. Well, you, it is a little, see, that's true too. Again, that's, that's another positive thing about Trajan. I think it's easier the way to wrap your head around the way that that um, works where, yeah, where you in Macau, you kind of rotate the, windrows correct and and that seems yeah for whatever reason for some players not all but for some players they they have a, a rough time with following how that works yeah because she kept saying, like like they like it almost needed to do like a aura at labora thing where it was you know two boards on a spinner so it just kind of i was kind of thinking the same thing and yeah like she kept saying you know where am i supposed to put this well you know it's a dude <laughs> It's a two, so you know you put your stuff where the two is. Yeah, and it just—it it was one of those things that I'm sure was being made more complicated in her mind than it actually is. Sure, and, but there's a, there's a lot of things like that in, in a lot of games where true. Um, I don't know. You know, sometimes it just seems obvious too. Once you've you've read through it, you've played through it, it makes a lot of sense. But then you know, looking at it from a new player's perspective, it it may not so much. Oh, I agree. So I was actually thinking of trying to see if I could figure out maybe some kind of mechanic on a piece of paper or something to make it a little easier where it's not a spinning uh, wheel. It's some other kind of mechanic where maybe you shift something around, but I don't know. I'll, I'll have to see if, if I, this, at this point, there's probably no hope of ever playing <laughs> with her again, but I don't know. I still have burn marks on mine, so. Yeah, at least she didn't pull out the uh, the lighter. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed the game. I I did win, which probably didn't help her <laughs> feelings uh, of the game. Stupid. Let the uh, always let the wife win. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. Elsewhere, not just in this house. Anyway, uh, so that was Macau. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, did have a little bit of colorblind problems with this game. Uh, surprisingly, not too bad. Um, uh, really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to playing it again with yeah. somebody.
Then uh, we did some Ascension, uh, Storm of Souls, the the usual standby. Uh, also got Airlines Europe out when uh, the power was out. This one was a little tough to play because uh, we were playing it. Uh, it was around maybe nine ten o'clock at night uh, by the light of a lantern. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of really dim in the room. So it was a little tough to see certain things, but this one didn't go over so good as well. I think partly. Now that surprises me because it's a pretty approachable title. It it is. And I I think it really was just the situation was bad. I mean, the power was out. We were playing on the floor. It was really dim trying to move the lantern around, you know, to be able to see. And so I'll have to give that one another go with her. Uh, also yeah. got Glenn Moore uh, to the table. Okay. That's a fun little game. Did you ever play that one? Yeah, I have uh, quite a bit to say about Glenn Moore. Okay. I'll, I'll wait for, for you to go through your stuff. Okay. Uh, this is a, a pretty interesting game. Uh, oh, I forgot who made it. Was it is it Matthias Kramer? Anyway. Uh, Glenn Moore? Yeah. Uh, that, well, that's in the middle size, uh, Alea box series right. by, um, well, Kramer, but not the regular Kramer. It's like Matthias Kramer. Yeah. Matthias. What to see. Yeah. So it's an interesting little game. Basically you've got a small board that you put down on, on the table. It's got a bunch of squares around it. And what you really do is, uh, you are advancing your pieces around the board. When you land on a tile, you take it, and then you have uh, a series, like a play area in in front of you, where you have to now place this tile, uh, you know, Carcassonne style, you know, somewhere on there where it fits. And there's roads and rivers that you have to maintain. You can only have one road and one river in your play area. And then once you place your tile down, wherever it is, you activate uh, its ability and then the abilities of the surrounding tiles, which give you resources, cubes. Uh, They might give you these little meeple guys, uh, which they're not chieftains. They're they're called something else. I forget. Anyway, let's call them workers. Now you place your workers down. Uh, you can also move them around, and there's various mechanics as to where you can place your your uh, tiles or whatnot. And it, it's a uh, it, it's a fun little game. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. I was really, really, really surprised at how much of a kind of like a little brain burning puzzle aspect there was to the game. Because, I mean, it's not a heavy game at all. I, I was just really surprised that... It, I, think you, I think you like all Euro games, though, don't you? No. Well, what games haven't you liked? Hmm. See, wrong answer. <laughs> this should be, there should be something that immediately comes to mind. You're, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> do do. See the the one game that I would that I would say I don't think I, the one that comes up to my mind right now that 
Euro game. Yeah, Euro game. No, no cheating with like party games or something like that. So yeah, I'm not going to say Rex because <laughs> yeah, and that's Ameritrash or Marathon. Yeah, I got to mull this one over. <laughs> you put me on the spot, okay. and I, I I do tend to like a lot of them. Yeah, well, so I mean, that's that's I think the different spot that I'm in. Possibly having played a lot more games over a lot more years, it's just there's a point at which certain games and Glenmore is definitely one of them where upon first play you see what's new and what's different and go oh that's neat that's interesting what he did there that's kind of cool I like that but you also see that is is this really going to hold up when I play it uh, again and and when I play it a third time or a fourth time and in comparison to the 19 other games I have just like it or the 19 other games I, I had just like it and got rid of. You, you may not have noticed, but this is interesting because Glenmore came up in our forums, in our guild forums, just today in the comments of episode 15. And we there was a couple posts that went back and forth on this. And I, I really actually like, there was kind of a, a last post which said something to the effect of, well, you know, a, a, a that the game, you know, looked and sound interesting, but had fallen flat every time. Uh, this was Michael uh, D. And uh, basically the, the point, though, that that uh, I think he brings up that's even better, though, that makes that really just makes the point is uh, he, he knows that people in his group think that it's OK or like it. But it's one of those games that has just stopped showing up at game sessions. And that's that's exactly to the point. I'm not going to even bring up the Jones theory here. I won't do it. Don't let me. You just did. No, I won't. I'll, I'll cut it out. I'll edit it out. <laughs> okay. That, that's. I'm going to no, record the, the sound clip. No, right I can't because I said that. Podcast edit. Yes. Delete the last <laughs> minute. Radio okay, edit. But, but that's the exact point is like, that's what happens to games like this one because they're, they're good. They're good, but they're not, there's just something not lasting about them. So when they first come out and there's this new little thing to it, it's cool. It's neat. You run through it a couple of times and you go, yeah, this is neat. This is different, but there's just no staying power behind it. And maybe, maybe this one, I, 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 and that's what I poked fun at in the forum a little bit is it, it, it really has more. That board is just the most lackluster little board I think I've ever seen is, yeah. uh, what's your point? It's, it's just gray squares, uh, are in a rectangle. I mean, they could have done anything. They could have hired a, a four year old to scribble a, a house in, in the gray square or something, and it would have been more appealing or, you know, at least an attempt at, at a theme, but it's okay. So first, and I'll talk about Thebes another time, but I, I actually really do like, have you played Thebes? No, Thebes? I have not. Okay. So th I'll try to be nice about, about it, but if Glenn Moore is the first time controlled mechanic game you've played, then I would probably love, love love i might even rate it a 10 it's an awesome mechanic right that whole dilemma between you know you might go three times in a row right you can skip ahead and get what you really want oh, but I see. that he okay. he who's furthest behind gets the next turn so right. then the, so that, for people not familiar as your pieces are going around this board let's say if there's four players the person who's in the last position goes and they can go repeatedly up until they're no longer the last person. Right. And, and in extreme cases, it could be, it literally could be three or four turns. True. Uh, 
And if you so want to take every tile. Right. Well, that's true. Which hurts Some, and, and there's reasons you might not want to. But Thebes was one of the first, you know, if not the first very popular game to, to have that uh, mechanic. And then there's been there's been other uh, instances of it, even in odd places like Ameritrash. And, uh, I mean, Fresco uh, has that, too, doesn't it? Nah, so much. There, there was another game that was pretty popular. I remember recently. That well, that. Horus Heresy has it. That was the one I was going to mention from okay. Fantasy Flight Games, in a in a in a mer- fun Meritrash sort of way. And there's and there's there's plenty more. But in any in any case, that that is a good mechanic, but but not a good game. Does that does that make by itself? Uh, now the the question that came up in the forums is the thought that I've mentioned my number one mechanic or usually thing of interest in a game is the spatial strategy. And so that's why, okay, now you've got, you've got two things I really love. So I, I do like, I, I do like, if not love the turn taking or the time. I don't even know if there's a word for that mechanic, but right. The, the one where he who is furthest behind on the time track goes right. regardless of, of turn order. Uh, and combining that with the spatial strategy involved in placing and activating the tiles that is definitely cool. Uh, and, you know, then the fact that that does further influence which tiles you take. And I would say Glenn Moore certainly seems like a pretty well-balanced game. But here again, and no, I was putting on the Amerifun hat since, I, you know, I've been talking about Amerifun games this, this, uh, this show. You have to admit this one's pretty dry in theme beyond its lackluster art and components, right? Yeah. Okay. So then you, you combine that with what's a very simple market component. Uh, you know, uh, most games with the market component, uh, you know, there's more to it. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's a step up from gateway games, like, you know, like your Carcassonne or whatever. And, you know, I guess given that it also plays quickly, it's sort of in this middleweight category where it's not, it's not this super accessible game, but it's also not this heavy game. I mean, it's uh, nowhere near heavy and middleweight. I mean, I would say it's light middleweight. Yeah, but it's no gateway game either. I agree. So, and, and that's why it falls in that strange category of, you know, it's, it's, I, I think experienced gamers are generally looking for more and yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's back to like, what itch does it really scratch? type of thing okay you've got i guess that's all the typical euro things right i mean you got zero player interaction right right i mean other other than if i guess if you're gonna like you're taking a tile to deny somebody a tile but but that's what it is i mean it's really just like it was so, so much fun the first time and we went to the second time i was like okay it's, it's good but it, it just kind of becomes a, a kind of a bore to play after after a while i mean it's just think about playing this for the the 20th time I mean, is it still does you still think of that as fun? Possibly, maybe. Yes, I don't know. I, well, I, look I, at I, how I, many and, games actually get played twenty times. I mean, for a game to get played twenty times, it's got to be something special. Yeah, I, I suppose I was exaggerating that, but five I, I times, know. six times. It's just I think it stands out if if you've not seen that mechanic before, but once you have, which I have, you know, many a time, then the spatial aspect is more just. Um, going through the motions of it. I don't know that I, I don't really feel like, oh, that was a tense choice between putting it to the left or putting it to the right. 
it's kind of like you just you just do it um, and there are some tiles that are kind of overpowered to me uh, with the point swings that they give okay uh, and, and you know perhaps that's the whole point to entice you to jump further ahead but that's sort of offset by the other player gobbling up more tiles I guess but then there is the penalty for that I don't know you know there's not a lot of long-term strategy in the game either you know what so so that's like when I'm trying to des- decide on a game I, I try to look and and that's like one of the things I did I've done with a couple of the reviews where I d- defined the tension points right tooth and nail was one where I go okay here it's a simple game but here are these tension points these are these are the decisions that you just are kind of torn between oh do I do this or do I do that and that makes means it's a meaningful point and in Glenmore I'm not I'm struggling to like find what that is is what is that tension point where you go ooh I'm just you know, the, the only, it's just the tile. It's just that time mechanic. That really is. That's the whole point, right? That's the whole tension point. It's like, do I take the better tile further ahead and give Rob two more turns or three more turns? Or do I just take that okay one that's the next one? And then everything past that was kind of just again going through the motions. So, um, I don't even know if it's really like an optimization game so much as, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I actually rate it like right on that level with Macau. So it's not, I don't dislike the game. I don't even give it like the take it or leave it. It's better than that. It's, it's, um, you know, it's in that six range for me. So it's, it's actually, again, where if I had a game collection, I would actually have it in my collection. And if, if, you know, it's the kind of thing I think does get brought up and you go, Oh, yeah, the, the time track mechanic. Yeah. Let me, let me show you going more. Cause that's a pretty quick and easy game to illustrate what that mechanic's like. And, and, you know, and it's, if you've never played it before, you're definitely going to have fun the first, uh, you know, couple times with it. Right. But in, in no way, shape or form is it like, you know, this, for me, this awesome kind of game that, you know, that, that is, is making the, you know, top tier call in, in rating an eight or better. Okay. Fair enough. But that's me. That's me. That's you. So, I mean, I enjoy the game. I, you know, haven't, I guess, played it a whole ton of times and I'm sure that, you know, the game is going to be tiresome. But, you know, that's the case with the majority of the games that we've got nowadays. And I could see... I don't know. There's you know, there's plenty of games I've played 20 times that I still love. And, you know, to respond to the remark of, you know, it's not going to make it to the gaming groups anymore. I mean, how many games actually make it 10 times to the gaming groups anyway, you know? You know, people are still bringing out Seven Wonders and people still bring out, you know, Ascension. You mention that all the time yourself. I mean, there's just certain games that are a class above others, and that's I think the the, yeah, the point know, cer- that certain person games was making. To certain people, like I know that there's people out there that can't stand Ascension. I've you know heard them talk about it on other shows, and you know people rattle off all the things wrong with it, and it's like, okay, great, yeah, it's still fun, still enjoy it. At least my wife enjoys it. <laughs> it's. I would definitely rather play Ascension over Dominion, but I would rather play something else over Ascension. It's an interesting game. It's definitely a stepping stone. Yeah, but the but the buzz stays the buzz stays alive by a core group of fans, and that's you know as uh, again I, I always end up quoting other podcasters and such, but as as Tom Vassell likes to say about games, right? A certain type of title. Yeah, this is like when Glenn Moore was out. It was all the talk. It was it was for a short period of time, but. And I don't know that he said it about this game, but you know, I I would or or did is you know this in a, in a year's time, no one's even going to know what this game is, and so that's 
maybe the unfortunate part about about uh about this one is is that's that's kind of i think what that person meant in in the thread michael there is it's it's just the kind of it's just one of those sort of forgotten games now in in the series that you know some people know but it's just it's just not you know it, stores aren't stocking it on the shelf or at least the stores i've been in aren't you know there's there's other games in the in that middle size series that kind of just are still uh had more staying power or whatever and it's not a bad game no. but there's just something about it that the the buzz has sort of just moved on past it and i don't know how else to explain it yeah i i view it as a game of it's enjoyable and to bring it out Every once in a while, it's kind of going to be a treat. And then it goes back on the shelf. We've been playing some St. Petersburg lately. Pretty fun little card game. Uh, a card game with a board. So it's really not a board game. It's kind of a useless board, but it's still nice to have. So there's an expansion that's been available for it for a little bit of time now. Banquet and New Society. Actually, I think it's the other way around. New Society and Banquet expansion. So, well, we played uh, a couple games with New Society. It's a new set of cards. Adds about uh, 30, 40 cards to the game. It really improves the game uh, quite a bit. It also gives you uh, a couple extra pieces to play a fifth player or to make it for five players. And the Banquet expansion we haven't tried yet, uh, so I can't really comment on that one. New Society, definitely double thumbs up. Uh, you, you get to actually even replace a couple of cards from the original game uh, with, with these cards here. But I think from now on, I don't know if we'll even be playing with just the regular base setup anymore. Mm -hmm. It'll always be with New Society at a minimum. Definitely give this one uh, a double thumbs up. Yeah, so it it came in this teeny tiny little box and just like a little stack of, you know, 40-some cards and a little baggie. And I'm like, wow, this thing's just sitting in a whole lot of uh, little padding, I guess, or dead space around it. But, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. If you like St. Petersburg and you don't have the New Society expansion, uh, it's definitely worth it. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was I picked up Maharani. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the new queen the game. new queen Or game. one of the new queen games. Yeah. So, as I've said before in the show, I'm a big fan of queen. Their production is usually fantastic, and I love the art. There's just something about the art in all of their games that just automatically draws me to it. I, I'm like a rat looking at, you know, the, a shiny thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like you can always, like when you're walking down the aisle at the game store, you can always pick out the queen stuff. You just like, out of the corner of your eye, you know, it's those bright, like yellow packages. So what this game is, is it's a pretty interesting tile laying game. Very puzzlish. Is that a word? Puzzlish? Puzzling. Puzzly. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, what it is, is it's got a board with a big square hole in the middle. And you get this uh, piece to fit right in there. It's uh, a square piece on the bottom and then a rotating circle 
up on top. And there, I have a little gripe about that piece, and I'll bring that up in, in a little bit. Because I have to give my gripe on this one. So what you do in the game is you pick a side where you place a color marker. So you, you get a bag of tiles that you draw from. You put them in the middle of the board and then you rotate it so it's pointing you, so er, pointing at you. So every player actually gets the same orientation of these, uh, which is kind of interesting. And then what you have to do is you can pick one of those tiles and place it in the quadrant that it is sitting in of this board. And there's little column markers in there, so you can't put it everywhere. And when you find a spot that you can put it on, you get extra points or money if you put it next to like-colored tiles or tiles that have your people on them. And it's another one of those that, you know, when you look at it, it, it seems pretty straightforward. But when you actually sit down and, and play it, it's got a little bit of thinkiness to it, you know, just trying to figure out, well, you know, can I just take so, this easy tile and put it here? But how can I maximize my points? What what uh, uh, didn't you like about the game? One thing that I, I must comment on, and normally Queen is great with her components, and, and they are. I mean, the game was very well made. But the box, okay, the box has a divider, and the divider is offset. And the, at the bottom of the inlay, is a drawing of this center square, okay, that you put in the middle of the board. Well, when you put the divider in, the square does not fit there. You know what I'm saying? And that's annoying. I'm sorry. Why go to all those mm -hmm. lengths <laughs> to put this divider in there and to make this drawing like, hey, you know, I can drop this piece in there when this thing doesn't fit anymore. So I tucked the divider in mm. on the side you know, on the side of the insert. I would chuck it and put a Plano box in there anyway, so. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, but That's me. Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of stuff that could fit in a Plano. Or a, yeah. But uh, there's always the game's stuff pretty interesting. In I definitely want to spend some more time with it. Uh, you know, again, it's another uh, lighter game by Queen. Uh, definitely, again, not a heavy game, but enjoyable. Uh, very much a puzzle type game of you know you trying to figure out where you can fit your pieces the best i'm giving you a homework assignment to find a game okay. for next show that you don't like euro game actually and it has to be from your collection while we were talking it can't I, be somebody else i just team. went through my uh list on bgg which isn't super updated but i couldn't find a single one uh-huh yeah see if if it's anything, I, I bet you it's. All right, I'm going to start teaching you about a, that. A Reiner game. Well, I played Sky Traders. I don't know. I think is there more to the name than that? It's it looks very the new like FFG Chausenish trading game thematic cover. Yeah, I've, I've, the the game's still in my board game bag, so I don't have it handy. But Sky Traders. Okay, I guess I was right. It's just called Sky Traders, at least according to the BGG entry. So this is a new game that, that came out from designer 
Giorgino Prestigio Any amount of money that that's not how it's pronounced. I'm sure I massacred that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure on that. So it's a it's a dust game slash fantasy flight game, and uh, it's it's you know two to five players. Pick up and deliver is what uh, BGG lists as the mechanic, but that seems a little inaccurate now because it's or incomplete, I should say, because it's it's pick up and deliver. But you know, there's a lot of other stuff to the game too. I I don't know that I quite would think of it. Um, I don't know what they have down for market, but there's definitely a market mechanic to the game and that sort of thing too. So what this is for me was a game that I definitely was very, very enthusiastic to get. Uh, unlike a lot of people, I guess, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of people talking about this one as, as it came out. Yeah, it's only even as of this recording, there's only 91 people marked as owned. So maybe it's still finding its way in, into stores. But there's been this new sort of resurgence of uh, mixed um, American and Euro games with, uh, you know, deeply sort of themed, but with some Euro mechanics. You know, Manhattan Project was one, you know, to an extent, Lords of Waterdeep. And so this was another one that I thought, okay, really has every reason to be great. Uh, it's like this light market manipulation mechanic where you're buying and selling goods, trading goods. Uh, and, and the way that it's sort of presented then is definitely a little bit leaning more on the Ameritrash side. So where Lords of Waterdeep is sort of in every way, for me anyway, pretty solid to call a Euro game just with a theming or even Manhattan Project, I think, still fits well into the Euro realm. Uh, with just some better theming, Sky Traders, for me, after after having played it some, is definitely more on the Ameritrash side of stuff in terms of there's a, just a lot more randomization, a lot more dice rolling and such than it fits into the Euro realm. Even from the market manipulation point, there's a whole lot of realism to the way that that works. So uh, approaching it from that point of view. Have you had you uh, even heard of this game before, Rob? Oh yeah, I was actually uh, looking at the box. Okay, well, about two weeks ago now. So local store. This is a challenging one. One of it's actually one of the most challenging games I've had to review because normally my opinion on a game, be it good or bad, I, I'm able to in. And, you know, say with some certainty that, that the rating is, is kind of my general rating inclusive of what I think most people would, would, would think, or, or at least a large number of people would think. And on Sky Traders, I'm, I'm just less certain of that. So to, to get to the point, there's certain things about the game I really liked, but overall, it was a pretty dismal failure for the people who played it. I, I would define failure in this case as meaning at one point everyone, and even just in the first time I played this, everyone discussed the possibility of quitting the game. Wow. Uh, and now that's never a good sign. <laughs> and I can only think, and I'd actually actually have to think hard. I'd make a list of these somewhere of very, a few other, I mean, out of, again, if I've, if I've played 1500, we're talking about, way less than a dozen, maybe half a dozen games this ever happens with. Now, part of that is because the game is too long. 
Uh, I mean, BGG even lists it wrong because the box, the box says, well, actually, I guess they always half the range. I don't know why they don't just have ranges on there. Um, but the box lists it as two to four hours. Now that first game that we had played was with three. And to be fair, it, it fell within that range, but I was one, you know, it just kind of felt long. And that's one of those things, right? Sometimes the game, it's not just about how long did a game take, but how long did it feel like it was taking? And this was a game that really felt like it was taking a long, long time. Okay, so, but let's let's get more to the to the points. Well, uh, not a negative, but not a positive is the the board itself. So you lay out these little hexagon tiles like many games, and there's a random setup to it. The issue here was there isn't a lot of variety in the tiles in the first place, nor a lot of tiles. There's basically city tiles where you can pick up a particular unique good. And then there's these cloud tiles uh, that, that kind of interconnect them. And there's a warp gate and uh, one or two other special tiles. But basically, in the way that you arrange them, every time you play, really, they end up being arranged pretty much like the last time you played. I mean, you know, okay, the red city here is next to this warp instead of the blue city, but seldom does that really have a whole lot of difference i mean or at least as you play them you're you don't have any information that lets you decide okay oh i'm going to put the red one next to the blue one because that's going to be my strategy this game or there's just no real reason that any of the map differentiation really amounts to anything so that again isn't really a negative but it certainly could be better could be more meaningful so that was kind of the first thing, just out of the gate. That was kind of like, okay, that's weird. And then you have what you're doing is you have this ship with six holds, and you're filling it up with certain goods, and you're you're going around and dropping it off and selling it for other at uh, other cities for hopefully more money. And the main mechanic in the game then, beyond the pick up and deliver, is this market track. And really, what happens is you have three dice. You roll them after everybody takes their turn. You roll them, and if you think about it as six goods in the game. So, and each good is numbered one through six. So if I roll a one, four, and a six on my dice, then I can place the one on the row with the one good to either move it up one in value or move it down one in value. And the idea is I'm going to trade dice with you to try to influence the market the most. Uh, So maybe you have a one and uh, a six as well, and you're trying to increase the value of the sixes. I'm trying to increase the values of the ones or something like that. And so I'll trade you my dice for your dice type of thing. So, right. So you've got, not only do you have this market manipulation thing and the dice rolling thing, right. And say of a, a castle burgundy sort of way, but now we're actually trading dice back and forth. So all that sounds kind of cool, right? Yes. Sure. But the issue with even that is after, well, first a couple of things. This, the example I just gave you. If you're anything but stupid, or is it the opposite of that? Well, why would you, tr- why would I trade you a six? The, the, the six is, you know, I guess you have to know a little bit about how the market looks, but the sixes go up in value much, 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 much higher than the ones. The ones only go up in value one. As you, you know, the lowest value is one, the highest value is like six. Whereas you have, you know, uh, the, the, the sixes go up by values of 10. So if you had a bunch of goods, you know, let's say you had eight, six or eight of those, I'm, I'm handing you like 80 money and I'm getting five, you know, or six out of, out of the die you give me. There's, there's a lot of games with trading 
where there's not good initiative for people to trade. So, you know, if you you play Settlers of Catan, right? At some point? Yeah. So in that game, one of the reasons why that works so well, and I think that's a successful game, or civilization for that matter, is there always seems to be a reason why you want to trade with people. The game itself motivates you to trade with people, to make more trades and trade again and then trade again and then, you know, get all these types of things. And there just, this was one of those games where there seemed like there was too often a reason why, well, if I can't get something that benefits me enough, I'm, I just, why would I trade with anyone? I just deny them because it helps me as much to just deny you the dice you need. Uh, you know, or, or I, you know, it's so easy to, to potentially calculate it. You have to give me money in this exact amount so that I know that I'm getting a better end out of the deal than you are. Uh, or you dismiss all of that and just go with the wind and go, ah, whatever, you know, I need a one, you need a six, who really cares? And, uh, you know, so-and-so will run away with the game. But that all aside, it, it doesn't even matter because then you roll random dice to see, okay, this random one goes up, this random one goes down. And even if you had a lot of dice in the positive counter column, it, it, it bounces back. And, and basically, and on top of that, if you're playing with five players, then everybody's playing dice all over the place. So there's, there's very little ability to predict whether any of the goods you bought are going to go up or down in value anyway. So it's, it's, it's again a very chaos game, but one with this market economic aspect to it. So, that's a, a too long way of saying it's going to drive Euro gamers crazy to play this game because you're going to be looking for a level of control that is no, in no way there and is in no way attempted to be there. So it's not necessarily a design that's failed. And that's kind of why I say I'm torn on how to review it because I don't think it attempts to be that. But any Euro gamer that's played any, any name, any market manipulation, you know, game, whether it's, I don't know, Planet Steam container or a Wallace game or whatever, you're, you're going to be looking to try to accomplish something that is impossible to accomplish. And so it, it's the point of the game is to just go with the flow and, and deal with it as it's, as it's dealt and, and do the best that you can with what you're given and just react to all the chaos and randomness. Uh, but somehow find, you know, find the fun in that because of the theme. And then there is sort of maybe the other problem is, there's there's these certain crew members that you can get and and load up in your in your ship and stuff, but there, there wasn't uh, really enough variety of upgrades to the ship. Um, we didn't actually get even in that first game. We didn't really get to a point where we even really attacked one another. There didn't seem to be any good reason to do that. So yeah, that's that's pretty much the things that I was concerned about or didn't like. So let's let me talk about what I did like. There's a really cool aspect in the game where um, the game is one of the best I've seen in terms of making sure you always have a, a way to get some money. So in most of these games, there's an issue of you run out of money, you've, you've kind of screwed yourself, you're done, right? There's nothing more you can do. You're just kind of along while you see who else wins. So there's there's a, a bunch of goods in the game, but then if you want to, instead of spending money to acquire these goods, all all of the energy production actually creates waste product so you actually can get paid to take this waste into your ship sludge it's called and then there's a market value for that too so you get paid to take it and if you you can then just dump it kind of in the clouds and then continue on and do something else or if you dump it in a city then you get uh, like a piracy token you're now wanted for pollution and if you take it to the right place which is the volcano then you get paid again for disposing of it properly 
And so there's there's uh, aspects like that. But at the same time, there's a greater chance it damages your ship, which is event cards that come up. And then on top of that, there's contraband, which you can take, which is very valuable. But the, the Sky Patrol might 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 stop you. And uh, so that aspect to the game was really kind of neat. Uh, but uh, but outside of that, it was really more of an issue of for pick up and deliver games. I mean, if you want something with theme and 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 better market control, and why not just get Merchant of Venus now that it'll be out soon? If you want one that's more Euro flavored than Planet Steam, if you want one that's more player driven economy, you know, container. Although Planet Steam does that good as well. Uh, there's, of course, there's your Wallace games. Uh, it's just whether you're on the pick up and deliver side, and for that matter, pick up and deliver uh, Africana. That was the problem with this game again. In, in summation, is I don't, I don't know what game it was trying to be, and it doesn't seem like it's nearly as good as other games that are trying to be those things, but better. So, what I, w- who I will say it's for, and I, I actually would be pretty well confident in recommending it for the person who is the Ameritrash Amerifun player who barely knows what a Euro is. In fact, one of the guys we played this with actually was asking me, Can, what, is, what is a Euro? I've played, I played Agricola, but what exactly is a Euro game? So if, if you're the kind of person asking that question, I think you're really going to like this game because you're never going to have played what exactly I said about Glenn Moore, right? If you've never seen a game with the time track mechanic, then so if you've never played a Euro game, one of those dry, well, actually, I like a lot of them, but one of those sort of dry uh, economic games with the market fluctuations and stock values and stuff, if you never played any of those, then this is going to be like this really new, neat thing where, uh, you know, the values and you're, you're buying and selling and you, you know, take on the sludge and there's some theme to it and everything and all that Ameritrash sort of thematic flavor but with sort of this little bit of Euro crossover, um, both in the pickup del- and deliver and in the market mechanics. So, yeah, I could see that there's a group of players that m- this game might really appeal to. But for me specifically, there's just no hope. Okay. I don't know. Do you, do you think it could be for you? No. I, I looked you at sure? the, I looked at this game and it really didn't uh, interest me. No, why, why so, though, if I may probe further? Uh, one thing was, if I remember right, the player count was three and above. It's actually, it says it plays two. Oh, it does? I, I don't know that it would play two particularly well. It's not a player count I tried it with. Yeah. Because um, uh, I remember looking at it, and I had, I mean, I was really itching to walk home with something that day, you know, just on the impulse buying. It had been a while since uh, I had purchased anything, so, you know, money was burning a hole in my pocket. And I had it in my hand, and I just remember looking at it, and it really reminded me of Baron Munchausen for some reason. And yeah. even when I looked well, at and, it you know, now, and I, it still and, and does. I actually, I wanted to say one other thing about the game on the, on the positive end. So I, I did say who I think the game is for, and I think it does fit in that audience, but I didn't really add the little cherry on top, which is to say that, you know what, I... From a designer point of view, and and actually, I don't think the design. This actually might be the designer's first game. <laughs> I don't know quite how to say it. It's kind of neat that this game exists because, again, I I don't know. I just don't know how large that audience is, right? It's not really the gamers I know, but uh, but it seems like this is 
innovative in a way like this is this is this new crossover field between Ameritrash and Euro and just most of the successful ones that I know of le still leaned more the Euro side with the Ameritrash flavor. This is the opposite, right? Ameritrash, Amerifun, as I like to call it, with a little of Euro flavor. But I, I think that really hasn't been done before of all the games I've played. I really haven't played a game that had this sort of feeling to it, but still it's just, it's just not angled for for players like me so but i think i think it's still worthy of existence is even as low as i'm going to end up rating it okay so and actually it doesn't rate very well on bgg which kind of tells you where bgg falls on the i think more of the euro end of the spectrum yeah, and it's got a the control six. no no randomness um, there's a lot of randomness into the game and that was the other thing too is you you ultimately win by buying points it's one of those and and you roll for just about everything so when you go to sell stuff and 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 so the player that that won our first game was rolling sixes a lot. And of course then he won and uh, it was kind of just to be expected. So, well, I, I just wanted to say real quick, I, I finally remember why I passed on this was, Oh yeah. I checked it out on BGG and it listed a 180 minute playing time. And well, and that was the, that was, that was the ultimately the killer beyond yeah. anything else is it just felt too long. Yep. That's the and, one that, that did it for me. And, that's something that, you know, I could probably do a three-hour game with you or, you know, at a gaming group, but a lot of my gaming is at home just because of, you know, availability and all, and there's there's no way, there's no way that we would finish a three-hour yeah, game. And, and if I'm stuck on a desert island and I only have four games and this is one of them, I'm going to be thrilled, but with all the other games that are out there, if I've got two, three hours to play four hours, even as the box would say, I don't know that this game for me is good enough that this is going to be something that I would ever choose to play again. And that's, that's the real issue. Not, not any of the other things really about, about the game. I mean, but again, for Ameritrash players are used to, if you're playing Fortress America and stuff like that all the time, then, a game like this isn't necessarily going to maybe seem that long. And, hey, it's got some fresh, different stuff you've probably not seen in your other games. So those are the people, again, who should give it a look. Last game I've been playing a ton of, and it's not just because it released on the iOS, um, but because I actually own all of it and every expansion for it, and my wife enjoys it as well, is Summoner Wars. Now... You've, I think I asked you about this before. You've not yet played Summoner Wars? I, I played a partial game. I was oh, trying good. to explain it to my wife, and we wanted to play something else. Okay. Well, I'm familiar with it. So, Summoner Wars is for me uh, the exact example uh, when I'm talking about, you know, spatial element in a game or in a simple game. Yes. But yet with deep strategy. That's Summoner Wars. I mean, Summoner Wars is a game that you can teach in, well, I mean, I, I've taught it a, a, quite a bit, so I mean, maybe I'm just accustomed to it, but I could, I can teach it in like 30 seconds, right? The idea is basically you, you start off your turn, you, you've got certain, you've got a, a, a discard pile, a special discard pile, which is basically your magic points. You summon a certain number of cards, you place them on your board next to walls. Then you play any event cards, you, Move three cards, you attack with three cards, and then you discard any cards out of your hand to the magic pool to give yourself more magic points. 
And when you when you beat opponents' cards, they also go into that magic pools. I've played this game fifty times at least, not counting the iOS plays now in the last uh, week or two. And I never, never, never tire of it. Uh, never bore of it. I've got, uh, you know, a bunch of the, really, I've got every uh, faction that's been published. I've got uh, the reinforcement packs. And that's the other thing I love about the game, which is customizable games, building decks. You know, I don't have time for that. I, I play too many different games to do that. But here, you can change up your experience just by switching to another pre-made deck, right? There's all sorts of them now. The master set alone gives you uh, six different uh, factions and then if you want to if you want to have that little more customizable experience you buy a reinforcement pack and they're just very straightforward rules for how you swap out maybe there's a card that you just it, ne it just never really worked for you you don't didn't like playing with it or playing that angle so now you can swap those for uh, a different card or maybe there was one champion that you didn't didn't care for and so now there's a couple couple new ones that you can swap for um, there's only really three basic types of units in the game. There's the common units, there's champions, which are really powerful, and then there's your summoner, which is basically, that's who you're trying to kill. If you kill the summoner, you win. Now, the the game's also pretty deadly because the dice rolls are it's pretty easy to get hits, but there are cases where you're going to miss, and so it has come down to, uh, you know, summoner versus summoner, and, you know, the die roll kind of determines it, but... Uh, that, that's back to, you know, yeah, and there's every once in a while, there's an unsatisfying play, so, so to speak, but, um, most of the time it's working out to where the, the better, in fact, when I got the iOS app, it, uh, I, I haven't been playing it as much as I used to. And the iOS app actually beat me, I think the first eight times or something like that, which just shows you it can't be that random. <laughs> like, okay. I thought I, I generally win all of my games because I'm, you know, I'm usually playing against newer players when I'm, when I'm teaching it and such, but you know, then, then, um, you know, really I've gotten to where I'm, I'm starting to win again. And some of its certain factions are, are a little harder for me to wrap my head around. I, I for whatever reason, I have trouble playing against the trolls, uh, or I'm sorry, they're actually the, uh, orcs. They just look like trolls to me, but, and, uh, and I, and I do better playing dwarves and, and different things. Well, but long story short, uh, a lot of different people enjoy this game from a lot of different, you know, gaming backgrounds. And my wife, I did get to where she has fun with it because it's, it is simple to pick up. There isn't a wide variety of units. So even if they're special abilities, a lot of these games, every card is something different. And you're going, okay, what's that one? How does that work again? Let me check the FAQ. There aren't a lot of discrepancies that come up in the game, really. It's just overall a fun game. And uh, if, if I'm, I'm certain I haven't mentioned it before, but it is the ultimate perfect 10 game for me. So much so that I almost need to give it an 11 because I'm not sure some of the other games I've even rated a 10 I actually like as much as this one. So uh, I'm, I'm yet another gamer that, that would list Summoner Wars as possibly my number one game, period, uh, that I like it that much. Wow. But I haven't gone back and, and re-rated all of my games on, on my new scale, so I... I can't say with absolute certainty. There's a couple that are pretty darn close, but at least of the, anything I've been playing in the last six months since we started the show, this is absolutely my most favorite game, uh, Summoner Wars. So a, a perfect 10 and then some. And definitely replayable. Highly replayable. Okay, excellent. And thrilled that there's an iOS app and I can I can play a variety of people I know and don't know 
Um, also get more plays in with my wife since, since she's also got an iPad. And, uh, it was a pretty good range of factions on it and such. And it seems to be a very well implemented game, uh, by Playdeck, who also did Ascension on the iOS. So awesome, awesome, uh, stuff. And there's good news for Android folks that there is an Android version in the works. So, oh, really? Of Summoner Wars? I hadn't yes, heard. Yes. Cool. Well, we'll be able to play. Maybe. Often. I, I don't know if uh, the Apple gods will allow cross platform <laughs> playing. Because yeah. I think it uses that Game Center or whatever it's called, right? Or no? Yeah. 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 They may not have a universal interface unless they uh, implemented some type of their own uh, central server. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, certainly uh, Days of Wonder manages to do cross platform with Ticket to Ride. I mean, they've got PC people matched up with iOS, I believe, and yeah, they have iPad people matching up with iPhones, matching up with yeah. But that's uh, the only other game I got played, which I which I don't want to talk about yet until I play it more. Is I did get a play in of Dominant Species, the card game. Oh, excellent! Which uh, someone else had actually brought in, and I I had actually got my copy. My copy was sitting on my porch, believe it or not. Um, is it still yeah, on your porch? Because if it is, I'm coming over. No, I, I've I've opened mine now. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I did, but I definitely want to get more plays in of that before I comment on it at all. Just, so that's it. That's all I've got. So we should probably, uh, bring this show to a close next week. We'll start with the contest entries and voicemails and, and the such. So look for that then. I guess that concludes episode uh, number 16 of This Board Game Life. Make sure to check out our website at thisboardgamelife.com. Also, you can contact us at our email address, contact at thisboardgamelife.com, where you can send us uh, comments to the show, uh, questions, concerns, praise, <laughs> whatever you want to do. And you can also, there's also a uh, forum on our website, too. And then uh, you can also call our voicemail at 754-444-TBGL, which is 754-444-8245. And leave us any of that same information, contact suggestions, whatever it might be. And check out our BGG Guild as well. You can uh, join up there. There's a couple conversations that have gotten started. We'd like to certainly like the whole community aspect. And uh, if uh, you ever feel like you're... Your messages or thoughts get buried in, in the uh, onslaught that is some of the more general forums. And this is just another little corner of BGG that uh, maybe uh, you know, we can get to uh, know each other a, a bit better and, and listeners uh, learning about other listeners and that sort of thing. I did also put us down for a BGG blog, so the um, different shows, various shows are posted up there. Occasionally uh, somebody will comment there as well. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, my name is Rob. I'll catch you all next time. And this episode was recorded on July 12, 2012. You've been listening to This Board Game Life. Rob suggested I come up with a tagline, and I had looked into Game On and Spiel On and various other historical entries on that, and those were all taken. So my tagline will be... What's your tagline? Catch y'all all later. Mine's going to be, there is no antidote for board gaming. Antidote? Antidote. Yes. My son says that all the time. There is no antidote. 
from a song. Bye. Oh, yep. Catch you all later. Oh, wait. No, that's been yours. Damn. Um, There's no antidote. No, it's mine. <laughs> Stop saying it. Hi, everybody. You've been listening to This Board Game Life. There is no antidote for board gaming. This is Jeff. Until next time.